Howdy, and welcome to another episode of Adult Onset Horsemanship. I'm your host, Daniel Dolphin. Our guest today is a well-rounded horseman. He's a traveling cult starter and clinician. He works with horses from ranch horse versatility to mounted shooting and even to venters and dressage. Mr. Mark Lyon, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, man, I'm doing doing really good. Enjoying another beautiful day here in Texas. Well, I appreciate you taking a little time out of your cult starting that you got going on this week to have a chat with us. So what where where are you at in Texas and, and what are you kind of doing this week? I know you your deal changes every week. So what do you got going on now? Yeah. Uh, there's no typical day in uh, in life, I guess, of probably a lot of a lot of horsemen, but I'm in Houston, Texas, just outside of Houston at the Terry Ranch. I started a lot of colts for them. They've got a ranch and they're actually getting ready to do a dispersal sale. So they're kind of getting ready to retire. And so they're selling a bunch of the horses. So I've got about 12 or 15 that are going to go to the Shawnee sale in a couple of weeks. So um, and they're all ones I've started, or most of them I've started before. There's three or four that are young ones that I'm kind of getting ready to, to go. And yeah, just getting them all kind of polished up a little bit, working on some some cow work and stuff and, and just general riding around and getting them ready. Okay. And they're going to Shawnee, Oklahoma to sale? Yeah, right yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the 30th uh, end of the month there, they've got a sale. And I've taken, oh, probably 20 or 30 of them up there at different times. There's quite a few. There's a, there's a, it's a pretty good sale. And so we've taken, oh, I guess normally we take about six to 10 every year up there. Are you going to the sale with these horses? You going to ride them through oh, the yeah. ring and all? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll ride them through the ring. The ones that are the ones that are riding. I think there's a few weanlings and and long yearlings that won't be riding, but the rest of them that have been started and riding around, I'll ride them through the sale and and demo them. I used to do a whole lot of that, and I, and I really haven't in in quite a few years now. But one of the things I have always mystified me a little bit like in cutting i mean one of our big events for the two-year-old men is the futurity sales and all that stuff but if i private treaty sell a horse for somebody i get a commission if i take a day mm-hmm. out of my life and drive their horse to a sale and ride it through the ring and and do all that exhibition and talk to people all that then i don't get a commission at all we, we get paid <laughs> the least amount for doing the most amount of the work uh, some, somehow yeah. we didn't we didn't negotiate that one right when we started the, the horse trainer contracts. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. well, Mark, we try to start everybody off with the lightning round questions, and these are for points, so you want to be sure okay. and uh, do your A game here. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Got, got prizes in the end and all. Oh, verdict. If you were a Jedi – what percent chance would there be that you would use the force inappropriately? 99% chance. <laughs> An honest man. I like it. Morning or evening? Evening. Yeah. Really? I'm, I like, I like the mornings uh, for sipping coffee and watching the sun come up, but yeah, I'm, I'm way more in the, in the evening. I'm way more, way more of an evening person. Okay. Are, are you a don't talk to me until my, Second cup of coffee, kind of a guy, or yeah, I actually wake up pretty, pretty happy in the morning without my coffee. But it's definitely something that's my coffee maker goes off before I get up. So when I get up, my coffee 
it's a it's a it's a it disheartens me when I get up and I have forgotten to make coffee the night before because coffee is something that you should you need it in order to make it and so you you <laughs> you're kind of at a for me anyway I kind of like having it done but I'm 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 normally pretty pretty happy in the morning but I I do like evenings better. Bay or sorrel? Ooh, I'm gonna say bay. My one of my the one of the best horses I had was Bay, although I have all sorrel at the moment. I have I have uh, three sorrel horses that are mine, so I have all sorrels at the moment. But uh, my one of my favorite horses was a Bay, so I'm gonna say Bay. Okay, but I, I say this just about every time, and we've been on a real. I think every guest for the last seven guests or something has been Bay. I, I thought when I put that question in there, it'd be like fifty fifty. Right, Man, it's like nine out of ten people want bay horses. <laughs> I, I had no idea, I, you know. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Dogs or cats? Definitely dogs. Any particular breed? I've got a Catahoula Blackmouth Cross at the moment, and uh, my last dog was a Catahoula Blue Healer Cross. So yeah, I like the Catahoulas. They're they're pretty. They're pretty good dogs. You like dogs that are untrainable, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, a friend of mine's got a Belgian Malinois, so it's like, oh. and we always we always kind of, and another buddy of mine's got a couple of Border Collies, and he's like, we're not sure which one's the most untrainable. It's just, <laughs> it's it's all of them are, are kind of tough. I guess I like a challenge, I guess. There you go. That's the state yeah. dog of Louisiana. I, I've been around a yeah. pile of those things. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, like you a thick crust or a thin crust guy or, or what? I, I like a thin crust just because I'm not, I didn't come to pizza for the bread. I came for the toppings. So I like <laughs> a thin, thin crust. And, and you, you are living in your horse trailer a lot of times because of life on the road. Are you a cook at all? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. The, the, one of the biggest things, uh, I can about my trailers. It's got a pretty good sized kitchen in it, so it's got, you know, I I like making bread and and uh, some some rolls and stuff like that in the in the oven and and cooking dinner in the evening. So it uh, saves me a lot of money from eating out and a little bit healthier. So yeah, I I like cooking. I'm not an evening person. I'm a morning person. But but like on the road like that, I would. I would need a black iron pot in the evening, a little fire, a little that that two hours of cooking a heck of a meal for myself would would maybe be my most favorite looked forward to part of the whole day. Yeah. If there are good essential oils, do you think it's fair to say that there must also be evil essential oils? Oh, I think a hundred percent. Yeah. One of my most favorite oils is is uh, an evil essential oil. What is Chlor that? Chloroform. Chloroform. <laughs> I didn't even know that was an oil. <laughs> All right. I don't think it is. But it's, it's a it's a pretty funny. We, we have a couple couple buddies. We have some. We joke around a little bit. Of, they were awesome. we were actually talking about that. And I said, oh, do you think there's an evil? Is there a essential oil for uh, quiet? That's what it was. It was an essential oil for for peace and quiet. I said, yeah, it's chloroform. <laughs> and they thought it was pretty funny. Make a mental note to have the uh, state troopers check the back of Mark's trailer next time he's <laughs> heading down the road. There. <laughs> do, do you have a horse industry related pet peeve? Oh boy, there's. I, I would say 
I think all of us have have one or the other. With me, it's there's a bunch of them. Um, my pet peeve would be, I guess, there are two of my two biggest pet peeves are tying the halter knot on the halter incorrectly, tying it with a with an overhand knot instead of a, a sheet bend, and then leading the horse by the by the snap or by the by the underneath the chin by the halter. I'd say Got those him. are my two. Grabbed right up there. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me yeah. you're scared of your horse without telling me you're scared yes. of your yeah, horse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have a favorite beverage? Dr. Pepper. You'd get along with my wife. Whenever I, I first met her, I swear her blood was 90% Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and now it's Diet yeah. Dr. Pepper. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, got, my, got my little cup of Dr. Pepper here. I'm ready. If you had to choose between dealing with a horse that was completely feral or very, very spoiled, which way would you go? Oh, man. I would say spoiled. I'd prefer the, the spoiled one. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough decision, but I've had, I guess I've had quite a bit of experience with both, and I, I found that the spoiled ones come along a little faster than the feral ones. The feral ones, they're scared of you, so it takes them a little bit longer to to um, get quiet and and realize you're not gonna you're not gonna hurt them. And uh, the spoiled ones, it doesn't take them very long to figure out that they shouldn't push on you and run over the top of you, and uh, they'll they'll give you kind of a little bit of give you some space and. I'm going to ask you a side question here since you yeah. are kind of a, a fellow cult starter problem horse kind of a guy. Would mm -hmm. you say that people underestimate just how dangerous a spoiled horse could be? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, it's like a dog, you know. I mean, they they think of it like a, like a spoiled dog or, you know, just like a dog that's, you know, very friendly. I tell them there's a big difference between tame and trained. And the problem is, is they'll see that horse that's tame and then it's like, yeah, he's quiet, but he's also not doing anything that he doesn't want to do. And then you ask him to do something that maybe he doesn't want to, and they will, they will have a, have a fit. So yeah, they can, they can definitely, yeah. That, that's definitely one of the things, apart. some of the more dangerous horses I've dealt with have been in that spoiled, they have absolutely no fear of you whatsoever. And, and yeah. It seems to be vogue nowadays for for people to have that thought that we want that horse to have, you know, no fear of us whatsoever. And yeah, there might be a little bit of that that's that's helpful or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell people I don't want them afraid of me, but I want them to have a healthy respect for me. And you know, like I was never, I grew up, you know, I loved my parents. My parents loved me, but there was a couple times, you know, I can remember that I said something inappropriate and. My dad came around the corner and grabbed me by the front of the collar and said, you'll not talk to your mother that way. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. start stuttering, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I was a little bit scared right there in that moment. And, you know, like I say, you want a little healthy respect. Uh, they, they, you, don't want them, you don't want them afraid. And trying to find that balance between them thinking you're just another friend and thinking that being too afraid of you is, a, is a, the spot that I think we're all hunting. Yeah, that can be balance for sure. Yeah, with, with something yeah. like that. Yes, sir. Would you tell us something unexpected about you? Unexpected. 
I've competed in couples dance. In what? Couples dancing. I used to teach and competitively compete in couples dance, Western dance. Like two-step okay. cha-cha waltz. Okay. All right. I got you. What was your favorite sort of dancing to do there? West, West Coast Swing. West Coast Swing is my favorite couple dance to do. Yeah. Some asleep at the wheel and that sort of stuff out there? Yeah. Uh, West Coast Swing is a little bit different than like the East Coast and, and Jitterbug style, but uh, it's a pretty... It's a pretty fun. It's pretty advanced. It's tough for the it's tough for the girls to follow. It's a little bit more technically um, quick, quick dance. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it, and, and that's probably my favorite. But yeah, two step, double two, waltz, cha cha, any of that stuff is pretty fun. I I enjoy. Houston, I used to do quite a bit of it. I don't do very much of it anymore, but um, I actually use it a little bit in my analogies and horses because when you're when you're riding your horse, it should be very similar. You're the leader, they're the follower, and it should look like a dance. It shouldn't look as I tell people, uh, when you watch somebody out on the floor, there's the guys that, there's the couples that make it look very smooth, and then there's the ones that look more like WWE wrestlers than they do dancers, and the same thing happens in horses. Sometimes we make it look way more like a wrestling match than we do a dance, and our goal is to make it look like a stuff flowing dance the horses realizing and knows what the cues what cues are coming and and how to respond to them and we are cueing them at the right time so that they're they're the the foot we want to move is in the air and so there's a lot of analogies that i draw from that and and it's always fun to one of my favorite things is most of the girls kind of complain about the lack of guys that know how to dance compared to the girls that want to dance and uh, I say, well, you know, uh, yeah, there's th- that's true. Let's find out why. And so then we have them, you know, just have them go around and pick up the foot. You know, they, like let's say I say go to the left and then pick that rein up and move that foot to the left as it's coming up. Or even just tell me when that left foot is coming up because that's when you need to move it. And so they'll try for about 15 or 20 minutes and then I'll try the right foot. And pretty soon after an hour or two, I go, man, you guys aren't very good at figuring out where the feet are, you know? And, and so they, and they, and I say, well, you know, that's why there's not very many guys that, that are good at dancing is because it takes, you know, we first of all have to figure out how to dance ourselves. And then we got to figure out where the girl's feet are. And then we have to time up the lead in, in the same timing that the girls are walking. And so, yeah, it takes some, it takes some advancement. It's just not like, you know, just, just grabbing a girl and going out there and, and flinging her around the floor. So, it, they once they experience how difficult it is to be technically correct with it, they kind of have a little bit more grace for the for the guys that maybe don't don't know how to dance very well. So I kind of like it. And while the guy is in that awkward, doesn't know what he's doing stage, yes. he's being yes. awkward with the girl. Yes. That he probably yeah. So you yes. can you can certainly see how avoiding that might be the uh, the way to go. I resemble that yeah. remark. Yeah. If you could choose any superpower. What superpower would you choose? Mm, mm. I would have to say time travel. How would you use that? Oh, I'd like to go back in time and 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 talk to you know some some 
trainers and you know, oh, maybe just lots of lots of people just kind of go back and see what they were thinking and and yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to go back, um, you know, in the in the pioneer days and then also maybe in ancient Rome days and and talk to different people and yeah, I'd be kind of I think that'd be kind of a cool cool superpower. What about young Mark? Like we all have that horse or five in our past that we're thinking, man, I really didn't do that horse. Right. If, if I knew then what <laughs> yeah. I know now, would you go write some of those wrongs or. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It'd be nice to be able to go back and tell your younger self, Hey, Hey dummy, don't do that. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine. We talked about horses and, and, um, we were talking about different, the tough horses and horses and, and I said, you know, the problem with, with the difficult horses is the difficult horses make you the trainer you are today. And you kind of, you know, the easy horses don't teach you how to have the, the higher skills, you know, the, you know, anybody can train the, when I first started training rainers and, and cow horses, man, they stop and turn and track a cow already. Like it's like training a border collie to go chase sheep. It's like, you, you don't have to drive very hard, like turn him loose and you kind of test it on his own. So, uh, you know, it was like, hey, man, I can, I'm a, I'm a good trainer. Look, I got this one to slide. And it's like, no, that one already wanted to slide. You just happen to be <laughs> sitting on it when it, you kind of just barely fixed it up. So I think that the tougher horses, they help you. And then you get to the point where now people, oh, there was some lady called me the other day and she said, hey, I think you're the only person in the world that can help this horse and i said well i'm probably gonna <laughs> and they said well, what do you mean i said look if you if, if 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 i'm one of a very few people that can that's good enough to to fix him like i don't really like that's not something I'm, i've done all those i don't i don't need any more practice you know uh, like I, i'm not out to prove anything and so i think and i did find a i know a couple of people that i kind of intern with and and that i've that intern for me and and they're, I've kind of coached them a little bit and they're looking for things to kind of make themselves better. And so I, I found one of them and he's always looking for a challenge and wants to, you know, be better. And, and so anyway, I, I found him uh, somebody that could, could help him out. But yeah, after a while, those, those horses, they make us better. And then when we get pretty good, then we're like, nope, not interested in, in, um, risking my life yeah risking my life to make i'm 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 pretty comfortable with where i am i don't really you got know. The, the scars and the stories already yes. but thank you yes. <laughs> yeah yeah thoughts or feelings i would say i would say feelings because i are i tend to operate in the thought in the thought realm naturally and so i think if I was to make myself a little bit more balanced, I would be, I would, I would, I would try. And I, that's something I try to do is use more empathy and more feelings in, in particularly my interactions with people. And so that's, like I say, I, I tend to be more thought based, logic based. But so I think, uh, if I, if I, I naturally want to do that. So I would probably tend to be more feeling based if I was trying to balance myself out. Are you decisive or indecisive? Uh, fairly decisive. I think on a, on a, on a range, I'm, I'm more decisive. More, it doesn't take me very long to weigh the pros and cons and then come to a decision. I'm starting to wonder if, if 
maybe I need to change that question around. I'm starting to think that it has to deal more with acceptance of consequences because I think decisive people are just, I'm going to make the decision and then whatever happens after that, I'll deal with. And indecisive yeah. people are fearful of what the consequences, you know, I think that has more to do with it yeah. than the yeah. decision itself. But yeah. What is the best smell in the barn? Lexol. Okay. Yeah, leather leather conditioner. Uh-huh. You're, you're the first to say that, but that, that is a pretty good one. I would say uh, absorbing too would be kind of there well, for yeah. me with that. Yeah. Never thought about what's, it. What's the worst one? What's the worst smell in the barn? For me, cat pee. Yep. That's no, yeah. my wife's got a whole bunch of barn cats. And if I walk yeah. into a room and a cat's been there and that hit like, that's a, I think it affects me more than other people, but that's one of the worst smells on the planet as far as I'm concerned. So, yep. I was uh, talking to, uh, we were talking about best and worst smells and, and I came up with uh, DMSO. I said, that's got to be the worst smell ever is DMSO. Okay. Don't so, like it. I don't really smell it. I get the, I will get the garlic it's, taste in my mouth yeah, from it. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that deal. When I, when you smell, when you go through the bar and you, oh, you're like, oh man, look, yeah, don't, don't like it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book or movie? There's so many of them. I, I, I mean the the one that comes to the movie favorite movie that comes to mind uh, is the Patriot. Mel Gibson. Yep, yep. And favorite book, I'd have to say the Bible. I like the. I mean, that's my, the book I read the most is probably not the most entertaining. I, I read a lot of books, but the book I read the most probably the, the Bible. The Bible. Sweet, salty, or spicy? Sweet. Do you have a favorite dinosaur or deep sea creature? Dinosaur or deep sea creature? Mm, not real. Really. No. Okay, fair enough. Have you ever had a UFO encounter? Mm, no. No? That's another no. one of those. I was like 50-50 of people saying yeah. they had... I even had a yeah. Bigfoot Yeti encounter. And then like the last six, seven guests, nothing. Yeah. I, was like, no. I don't know what's up with that. But anyway. Well, Mark, I am tabulating your score here. And you have got 1,300 and 96 points just shy of 1400 but that is our all-time high score for this game wow so awesome that entitles you to either an awkward silence or a genuine compliment your choice oh i'll take the genuine compliment well i had something planned here for this but i i now that i'm, I'm kind of seeing you face to face the mustache is magnificent, man. I think I have, I don't often compliment another man on his appearance and all, but I've been growing mine out a little bit too. Yeah. And I'm like, you got some serious time and dedication wrapped up in that sucker. That, that yeah. is, it's impressive. I, I really have to say. <laughs> so thanks. I hope, I hope you don't think ill of me for, for going on no. the shallow end, but, no. but I mean, no. I'm a, like that's some commitment you got going on right there. It, I like it does, it does take a little commitment, but it's it's fun. It's it's uh the I like kind of the historic old timey 
kind of looking stuff. And so that kind of kind of is that same vein. I, I saw a guy last year. He was fairly young, too. He looked like he was in his 20s and had a similar mustache, and it broke off in the wintertime. Have you ever oh, yeah. seen somebody yeah. that, okay. Yeah, yeah, if you're, especially up in, I was raised in Nebraska, and so uh, you kind of had to be careful. Uh, if you had it, if you had it, if you had it like waxed up and it got a lot of moisture in it and then froze, when, when it would, when it would run, something would run into it and it would break, that, it would break right there at that ice and it would shear, huh. it would shear the hair off, yep. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if that was a, a joke post or something, but you, but you've no, given that no, credence now. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's that's got to be heartbreaking when you're like, man, that's eight months worth of mustache that just, and now I got to yeah, cut I, the other side on purpose. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never had it break very close. I've had it break more out on the tip, you know, the where it gets thinner. The normally at the, the thicker part, it'll it'll hang in there and and it's hard to break. Um, but the, the ends, if they're got a lot, you know, you'll be breathing, you know, or you'll have a lot of that condensation from your, from your breath condensate on there and, and make a little bit of an icicle on the end and then it'll break off. And I've had the ends break off before in, in the okay. cold weather. What kind of mustache wax do you like? You have a, a hard preference there or not yeah. really? I like, yeah, I like Clubman's mustache wax is what I generally use. I've got a couple other brands that that i like that aren't water soluble so if i know it's going to be wet when i go to like go to louisiana and florida and and alabama and, and if i'm going to be down there the moisture will wreck the, the clubman's is water soluble so it'll it'll just it'll just come apart so so that's the only some. one yeah that's the only one i can find around here without like ordering yeah. off of the internet and i haven't liked yeah. it but that's probably yeah. why I didn't know that about it. So if I were in a, oh, yeah. a, a yeah, it's just, water soluble, so you can wash it out in the in the shower or whatever. The other ones, you know, a lot of times you'll have to warm them up because they've got there's like a you can make your own too with beeswax and and petroleum jelly and the percentage more petroleum jelly is a little bit softer and not as stiff, and then the more wax, of course, the more stiff it is. But you'll normally have to warm those up in in hot water. And get them pretty hot and then kind of stick it in there and then as it cools off you'll form it but they won't they won't wash out they're really good for muggy climates but it also it's it's also hard to get off in the i have been i don't have mine done here but you can see it's maybe an inch out past yeah. the sides or, or yeah. so yeah. But it's definitely to the length where if i don't have wax in it i can't hardly eat because it'll want you know you'll get yeah. sucked in so yeah I've been yeah. tempted to cut her back here, but anyway, learn something new. I'll try a, a genuine wax before I go to, to snipping her down to where I had it before. Yeah. But, well, down to the real questions. Would you kind of give us a 30,000 foot view of what Mark Lyon horsemanship is all about? What is, what's your place in the industry and what it is that you do? I like just, using my skills and talents to help other people improve their relationship with their horse. And I would say it's probably a little bit more helping the person at the moment. It used to be way more. I, I helped work on the horses way more than I did the people. And it's starting as I get a little older and longer in a tooth and creaks and crackles when you get out of bed in the morning. I've started working with the people a little bit more. 
than the horses. But yeah, just kind of helping each relationship. See if I can help it make a little better, help them to understand uh, where the horse is coming from and, and under help the horse understand where the person's coming from and get a little bit better relationship together. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the overall, the overall goal. Okay. Would you tell us a little bit about your, your start into this deal and kind of how the progression of where you began to where you are now? Yeah. So I grew up in Nebraska and uh, grew up in town. So I always kind of enjoyed horses. And I think most young, young men want to be a cowboy when they're growing up. We just never had the facility or, or money to, to have a horse, you know, to have horses and board them and stuff like that. So just never, never did that. And then made some friends with some guys that had some ranches and, and had horses. And so I started going out to their place and, and riding some of their horses. And then I kind of liked it and had a little bit of a, of a natural ability, I guess. So started just working, making, getting a little bit better. When I first, uh, I guess when you first start out, of course, you're, you want to get better and you're willing to take advice from anybody that's better than you. And even if they're only slightly better than you. And so I got a lot of information when I was first starting that was not very, probably the best information to get. And, and so as I got a little better and a little better and started working on it, then I finally ran into a few people that they were pretty, they were pretty good. They were, they were pretty good horsemen. And, and of course they would, um, when I was growing up, uh, I was homeschooled. And so my parents, one thing I, I really like about my upbringing was my parents taught me how to think. They said, you know, they were like, Hey, does that make sense? Does that make sense? And, and so when I started working with horses, you know, I would go, I I mean, you're telling me this, but it doesn't make sense to me. And so I would question it a little bit. And, uh, and I didn't really know, really didn't know why. And then uh, I say got to, got to learn from some people that actually what they said made a lot of logical sense to me. And so I was like, Oh man, this is, this is better. And, and of course the, the results, you know, I tell people, look, you can do a lot of things with horses and you can be wrong and it'll still work just because it doesn't work. I mean, just because it works doesn't mean it's the best, you know. I mean, so some people are like, "Well, it works," and I said, "Yeah, so does spur stops on horses." I mean, the Western pleasure industry has been using spur stops on horses, and it doesn't. I mean, you you tell anybody that owns horse, "Hey, we're gonna poke the horse with a spur, and he should stop." Like, yeah, that's probably not the the most conducive to a to a working relationship, but it does work in certain situations, and and so yeah, I started learning from guys that you know had a lot of just common sense, common sense with horses. And so I learned a little bit from them. And then I just, you know, I just started really, really trying to get better and better with them. And yeah, eventually got where people were, were paying me to, to ride their horses. And eventually it kind of grew into a full-time business and yeah, led me on the, led me on the dream. So would you say that that like on your your personal horses these three sorrels that you're hauling right now are you more of like a bridle horse sort of a guy what's your approach on on i know you do a lot of things professionally there but on the this one's mine and i can do whatever i want with it what's your approach there yeah i like the vaquero traditional hackamore kind of stuff bridle horse method i kind of like that it's something that appeals to me and so on my personal horses that's what i that's what i kind of go for 
I tell people the the for me the bridal horse getting the horse straight up in the bridle is kind of like getting the master's degree from college and every horse I get isn't going to make that like some of them just aren't smart enough maybe I just don't have enough time maybe they're just not athletic enough so you know it's kind of like I think every parent's dream is to get their kid to get a master's degree from college but some of us are some of us just aren't gonna that's not gonna be in the cards so (laughs) we kind of go with with whatever we can do to kind of make that get that horse to the best we can and so every horse I get I try to do a little bit better job than I did in the last one and just take him as far as I can with my with my skills and I it's been fun to watch my my training progress you know the first few horses I did they you know, I was pretty proud of them. And then by the time I sold them, I was like, man, I I want to get rid of this thing because it reminds me of all the mistakes I made. I can do a better job on the next one. And so somebody else was, you know, that was, to me, it wasn't the best horse I had ridden anymore. It was, you know, I had made some mistakes that we're going to take. Maybe we could never train out of them. And somebody else's that was the best horse they'd ever ridden. And they were like, man, this is horse is amazing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he's okay. And, and so you you get a chance to try that again and and make less mistakes the next time and then somebody else gets a chance to to have a horse that's the best horse they've ever ridden and so then it's a winner it's a win-win deal you get a chance to take another horse on and, and try to improve your skills and the horse's ability and somebody else gets a horse that you know it's it's going to be a great asset to their to their life so every time i get a new one I try to make it a little bit better than the last one and and do that so yeah but I I I tend to I like the Vaquero style and the and the kind of the traditional kind of deal so I like I like doing that and yeah especially since it's it's my time so it's mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody's I don't have any customers going how come he's not doing this yet do you always ride fully rigged like this is one of those things I, I see some of those guys and I'm like, we're in a clinic. Why do you need a 60 foot rope on, you know, and the whole, like, like, you know, you're not using 80% of that. Well, yeah. I'd rather, I'm yeah. more minimalist. So if I'm not going to need it today, yeah. I, I kind of have it stripped away and, and a yeah. little, it, if I yeah. don't have a reason for something, I don't have that thing right now. You know, are you yeah. that way or are you the, the whole ball of wax all the no. time? No, no, I, I have like my, my minimum stuff I'm going to have. Like I always have a tie down rope on the, on the back of my saddle for like, oh, it's normally like a eight or 10 foot. I don't know if you've seen the tie down ropes like they used to tie down Mm -hmm. cattle with. So I always have one of those. Not that I think I'm going to tie down any cows in the, in the deal, but you know, I'll use it to tie a gate shutter, you know, help some, you know, it's just one of those things I use it more often for, Oh, just tying something shut or just sticking on the end of, you know, tying somebody's, somebody's lead rope onto their halter or better or whatever. Yeah. Then I it's use like it having for, a pocket knife. Yeah. You can just yeah. use it for a yeah. whole lot of, yeah. Yeah. So I normally have certain things on my saddle. I, I generally don't, I'm not packing 60 foot of rope on my saddle at a clinic. And I normally am not wearing leggings. Like, norm, I mean, I've, if I'm thinking I'm in a rope or something or if we're, I'll have my chinks or, or chaps or whatever on, but at a clinic, I normally, I normally don't, particularly since it's a lot, normally it's fairly warm and it's like, do I really need to, to have all that stuff on? So yeah, I'm, I, I kind of, 
I like to be traditional as is comfortable, as is practical. Maybe that's the the good deal. So yeah, I try to be I try to be practical with it. I am in the South, but yeah, I'm I'm chinks ninety five percent of the time, and and maybe like December and January and February about the only time chaps might get get pulled out for me. Or yeah. I guess if I had a string of clinics up north where it'd be colder, but let's be as aired out as we could be for the most yeah. part. Do you um, have some thoughts for us on groundwork? So I know you and I have had some some private conversations about some of the the big box clinicians and some of the things that they they kind of go on. And I'm I'm a little of the feeling that we've got a whole lot of people that have wound up using groundwork rituals as an excuse not to ride their horse because I've got to yeah. do all of this and I got 30 minutes of that and I don't have enough time today or, or whatever. So I know you're starting lots of horses yeah. and you're, you're starting them off of a horse sometimes and that groundwork may look a little different. So what, what does that world look like to you? So for me, I, the, the illustration that I use, I tell people, look, there's, there's, Lots of things, and I do some liberty too, which is all almost all groundwork. I mean, it's like liberty stuffs. Like you're going to be on the ground, and the horse is going to be free. So I tell people, you know, figure out where you want to be in that deal. I tell people, I I was joking with some guys, and I like to use analogies because it kind of helps people understand uh, maybe a little bit better where they're where they're situated at. And I told somebody, I said, how important do you think a pre-flight check is to a pilot? And they're like, oh yeah, like. Pretty, pretty important. I said, well, that's how kind of how I feel about groundwork. Like, I'm going to do some groundwork with my horse. Also, I don't know any pilots that I say, what's the, what's your most favorite thing about flying? And they say, oh, the pre-flight check. I just love that pre-flight check. Like, that's something that they have to do to not die. Nobody, I said, you, I can tell you the person that likes doing pre-flight checks are mechanics. So, you want to be a mechanic or do you want to be a pilot? Because pilots fly. We only do the pre-flight check to make sure we're not going to die. So like, if you like being a mechanic, then be on the ground and do your pre-flight check and do the groundwork all you want. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like, like I, I wear cowboy boots and they're not made for walking. So I'm, I'm doing the groundwork I do. I'm going to make, I, I, my goal is to do it so that my groundwork, in fact, I was working at a barn and, and had some horses. There were some client horses and there was a guy that uh, didn't like me very much. He was a pleasure rider, and of course, you know, sometimes, sometimes the foofy pleasure rider people and the and the cowboy types can kind of clash a little bit. So, anyway, he was. He said, "You're such a hypocrite," and I said, "Why?" He goes, "Well, you tell everybody to do groundwork, and then I just saw you get on that horse without doing any groundwork." And I said, "This horse?" I said, oh, "I did a lot of groundwork," and he said, well, "I saw you saddle him up and lead him up." I said, "Well, what about getting him from the pen?" to the hitching rail and then saddling him up and then leading him over there to the mounting block. And then he said, well, that's not groundwork. I said, well, I was on the ground, wasn't I? And so my goal is to get so that I can, I can figure out where that horse is pretty good. Just getting him out of the pen, stepping him through the gate, rolling his hindquarters over, shutting the gate, bringing his front through, going over, asking him to stand still while I saddle him, leading him over here to the mounting block or whatever. And by the time I got there, you know, I kind of figured out, He's pretty much with me. He's like, yes, sir. No, sir. Let's do it this way. And so I like to, my goal is to get where I people don't see the groundwork. It's not even it's not a bunch of circles with your stick and string and and a flag. And 
it doesn't look like groundwork. It looks like you just go and get in your horse and, you know, and, and that's what kind of what it looks like. So I, I, I it's important to me and I'm always going to do some groundwork with my horse before I get it on, but I'm working on making it less and less and less until it's just a, a small part of it. I'm just making sure that he's in the right frame of mind and he's still thinking of, of this relationship in the, in the proper aspect. And then we're going to go, go do some riding, get to the fun part, the flying part. Yes, sir. I like it. I, I'm right there with you. The whole, it, if, if I haven't figured out a little bit about this horse today, between catching him and leading him through the gate and up to the, then maybe I need to rethink some things about what I'm paying attention to and all of that. Cause I'm, I'm right there with you. That gate in particular, that's, that's yeah. like the pass fail moment. I mean, how they go yeah. through a gate and everything. I, I don't know a whole lot about my horse today when I do that. Absolutely. So you, a lot like me, you, you ride horses of a lot of different backgrounds, uh, including some disciplines that may seem to be very much at odds with others. Like here you are a Vaquero guy and you're starting dressage horses and eventers yeah. and things like that. So, would you tell us some of the differences or similarities in those horses? Like, are you, are you taking dressage horses and in the first few rides we're backing up a step or two and rolling over our hawks, or is it a totally different picture for this discipline versus that discipline or, or what? Yeah, I tend to start them all off about the same. Like if they're a cow horse um, and I'm starting them on a ranch, I know that, cow horsing and and ranch work is going to be kind of where their that's where their destination is probably going to be so i kind of i kind of know that and i'm like hey we're gonna we're gonna aim him this way and the dressage horses and the jumpers and sport horses i know that you know that's the direction they're going to be going but i i kind of think that they all should pass kindergarten i'm like look if you're going to be a for me i tell people if you're going to be a brain surgeon or rocket rocket scientist or a trash collector you still got to pass kindergarten in first grade like that's we don't go oh you're going to be a doctor so you don't need to do x y and z it's like no you still have to still have to do this so that's what i kind of start off with i want them all to learn how to do some basic groundwork get saddled nicely stand stand well get on walk trot lope back up side pass move your hips over move your front over the the horses that I think are going to be more used for cow stuff, well, I'm probably going to ask for more of a of a spin. The dressage horses, uh, if you move your front over a little bit, side pass a little bit, I'm not really looking for that for that stuff. They're they're probably you know the 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 ultimate in the dressage would be the canter pirouette, which really isn't a spin at all. And so like like you're never they're never going to ask you to plant one hind foot or the other and do it. So if you can go forward and, and move that front end over, that's going to be plenty good for, for what you're asked to do. And so I just kind of get them. So they're pretty, they're pretty willing to do whatever you want. They're going to try to move their hip over. They're going to move their front over. They're going to be pretty willing to do whatever it is that you're asking them to do. So that's kind of where I start them all at. And then I let, I, I people ask me what I like about cold starting. I said, it's like kindergarten. They all pass. Like there's not very many horses that don't pass walk trot lope stop back up turn around like they're they're pretty much all gonna pass like it's gonna be a bad horse and not pass kindergarten and so like are they gonna graduate college i don't know that's up to you to figure out like i'm not i'm not telling you they're gonna win the olympics but they're all gonna pass kindergarten or most of them are so 
And that's a, it's a satisfying thing about my job is they're all going to get through my class. They're all going to get, you know, walk, trot, lope, stop back up, do that kind of stuff. And then, well, you guys take it as far as you can and see how, see how much money and time you want to put into each horse. And some of them are going to have a better ability and more talent. And some of them are going to be less talented or, or maybe just not as trainable. And that's for the owner and the, the next guy, the, the college professor to figure out. I'm just the, the kindergarten teacher. So within your your typical business of traveling, cult starting, how long? Like, are you there a week? Or some places a month? That, like, what what is how long does kindergarten last for you? I guess. So. Yeah, it depends on the whoever's taking it over. Like when I start cults for the public, you know, I like to put at least a month on them. I like I think you know thirty days is a pretty good. Like I, and it depends on the horse too. But you know, most of them, if you're on a scale of one to ten, if you're a five rider, four or five rider or above, if if I have your colt thirty days, you're going to be able to probably step on him and and go riding around, and it's not going to be a big deal. If you're, you know, a two or three rider, you might need to. After I get done with you, you might have to have somebody put some more miles on him before he's ready for you. And then there's ranches that I go to that I'm only there a week. A lot of the cow horse reining breeding facilities i'll go there and start their colts they like a week or two on them and then their assistant trainers can take over from that so uh, normally it's at least a week i would say average is about two weeks and then the the horses that i get for the general public my clients and stuff i'll i'll keep them a month and then the rest of them are you know just kind of scattered about so are you a fan of like starting a horse in a round pin and a halter and that sort of stuff and one rain at a time and all of that? Cause like, like a few of these things are, are things that certain tr- disciplines might have a traditional problem with. There, there are some dressage people that if they saw you ask a colt to take a step back with a bridle from in the saddle and he's not, you know, at third level yet or something like that, then they they would be chastising you and telling you to put your helmet on. You know, there'd be a whole thing going on. So are are you that's all part of it too? And the people that hire you understand that ahead of time or, or what? Yeah. Yeah, normally they're I don't tell people they have to do it any specific way. I I just kind of do it the way I do it. And I tell them if they want it done separately, they're they're more than welcome to step on. You know, like they'll go, Oh, you should do it this way. And I'm like, here you go. Jump. <laughs> show me, you know, my mom was from Missouri, so show me. And so if you show me how to do it, normally they're like, well, I didn't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it myself. I just want to, you know, was going to like, Hey, this is, this not works for me. And and so like I say it, it normally what I do is I tell people, Hey, especially the, the first year I'll say, Hey, just let me try it for a week or so. And then if you don't like the results, Hey, not a big deal. No hard feelings. But normally, you know, they'll they'll watch it for a week and they're like, I can't believe you're riding out. You know, the second week I'm riding outside in the arena or through the trails and, you know, the for the especially for the warm blood, you know, and the English types there. That's not something that they, you know, they think it's going to be a, a month of groundwork before somebody, you know, before you even climb on. And so when you're, you know, the end of the week, you're out riding them around through the trails or in the big arena or whatever. And they're, it's going well. They're like, okay, well, I, I guess, you know, it works, works. And so they, 
Yeah, they figure out. Yeah, it, either it's it's gonna they're gonna like the results or they're not. And if they don't like the results, then they probably shouldn't have me riding their horses. And if they do, then hey, go go do your deal, and and uh, we'll take over after that. Yeah. If so, so have you had some places that are, that walk out and you've been there a week and they're like, oh my god, he's on an Oldenburg and he just started it and he is loping on a loose rein in the pasture and he's not dead. Like that's not supposed to be possible. So you've had some of those sorts of results and, and everything. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like uh, that's that's you know you can't do that. And and uh, there was I was like oh don't. I wish I could remember the quote, but it was it was something to the effect that people that say it shouldn't, it isn't possible, shouldn't interrupt those that are doing it, kind of deal. And so like, yeah, everybody says, you know, everybody says it's not possible until somebody does it. And so, one of the things I wanted to to kind of get into with you because I think we're very similar on our our approaches and all. I feel like one of the most kindergarten esque but underutilized tools that people have is to simply slowly and carefully pick up on one rein at a time when the horse is in motion to slow them down and bend them and relax them and it's almost the sort of thing that it's it's so simple it can't be true but I find that to be so underutilized like 90% of the people I have come to clinics that are having a problem with their horse like if you'll just do this for 10 minutes magically all those problems you have are just gonna melt away you know and, yeah. and you see it all the time the dressage horse that's having problems all like he never got that step in kindergarten and if you just do this and you're relaxing stop pulling on both reins at the same time and all of that stuff yeah just one rein at a time for a little while all your problems yeah. are going to disappear you you find that as well oh yeah yeah it's I think what happens is we kind of trap them a little bit with our reins and our legs. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, fighting their head and they're slinging their body around because they can't figure out where to, where to be. And yeah, it's a, it's a problem. I see it. I see it quite a bit and yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I think um, that's something that when I was first starting, one of the guys I learned from was, was um, Buck Brandeman and, and then I went to Ray a little bit and a few other guys. There's a bunch of guys that are the same. They're very similar. Learned from Tom and Bill and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, they were talking about that one rain. And, and anyway, I went to a lot of cult starting clinics and stuff. And, you know, he'd always start them off in one rain. And, of course, Ray sometimes would take the altar off and let, you, let it go around there with nothing. But, you know, they would do one rain. And, and so, anyway, I I started – when I start my cults, I start them in a whole turn, one rein and, and just, just the lead rope and just bend them around one way or the other. And so anyway, we were, we were at a clinic and somebody was talking, Buck was talking about, he had, he had a, a little cult starting clinic at his place and it was kind of an invitation only. And he was talking about the, the guys going out and, you know, just tracking some cows around on day two or day three. And somebody said, in just a halter and lead rope, and he said, "No, no, they had they have snaffle bits on, you know." And, and he's like, and they were like, "Well, you don't let us do that." And he goes, "Well, that's because you guys couldn't, <laughs> you know, you guys can't handle it." And they were like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, these guys 
when I tell them don't pick up on both reins, well, first of all, I don't have to tell them that. And second of all, if I needed to tell them that, they could they could do it. They could not. I said, you guys, he said, you guys, if I tell you don't pick up on both reins, it's not that you're trying to not listen to me. It's such that your body has been picking up on both reins for so long. The muscle memory is there. You can't not you can't not do it. Like you're going to pick up on the reins. Your body's just going to automatically do it. It's not something you have to think about. It's just the horse goes faster than you want and you just pick up with both reins. And it's, you have to learn to just use one rein. And, and so anyway, he was just saying that, you know, that's something that, that guys that ride green horses, we're more familiar with that, with that e-brake there. We just kind of roll that hind over a little bit and let some of that extra energy and emotion and let, let that horse kind of calm down and relax a little bit instead of grabbing with both reins and trying to stop them. And so we get, we get used to that and we, we do it enough that we're, the horse is just like, oh yeah, whatever. He's fine. And then we start picking up with both reins and kind of slowing him down. But if he's, if he's adrenaline starts pumping and he starts getting worried, we can loosen that outside rein, pick up with the inside a little bit more, roll the sip over a little bit and kind of help him relax and, and, kind of circle down there, spiral down. And, and I think what happens is when you're riding Colts, it's a, it's a skill that has to be learned. And, and the riding, riding Colts is a lot different than riding older broke horses. And sometimes it's hard to help those people that have only been riding broke ones. And then they get a younger one or one that's got some anxiety and they don't know how to help them. Well, you, you do bring up a point that I, I try to make and, and talk about with multiple guess and that is about the disengaging of the hind quarters and one of the one of the things that i see again with clinics and stuff is working with the general public there's a lot of people that have done that way too much in my opinion Mm -hmm. and they sort of get a horse where they are the the harm the specific harmful lesson i think is that they they train the horse to not bear weight on the outside hind and and they get them kind of running away from their feet and then when they get to a little more advanced they left kindergarten now we're trying to do like a lead departure and all of a sudden you know it's not going to go very well so would you agree with that do you have some feelings on on disengaging the hind quarters and kind of its place yep yep what i tell people is a lot of times i'll Tell people to disengaging in the hindquarters, and and of course most of the people that have been around horses a little bit, they they have heard all the nomenclature, they have heard all the catchy phrases, and I'll go, okay, disengaging the hindquarters. What else do you call it? And sometimes somebody eventually they'll say one one rain stop or e brake. You know, I'll go, okay, so the emergency brake, it's the emergency brake. I said, yeah. I said, how many times do you use that emergency brake in your car? And they'll go, well, not very much. I said, well, there you go. Like if you're using, you got brakes in your car for a reason. Like Yes, I understand if your brakes don't work, you should use the e-brake. But we kind of maybe use the regular brake first. Like the e-brake something I go to if the rest of the stuff isn't working. And, and yeah, when I'm first starting out in kindergarten, the first ride or two, yeah, make sure that hip goes over. I think people, they're worried about the horse running off. So they've got that rein a little bit tight. And every time that horse moves faster than they want it to, they grab the e-brake and move the hip over. And pretty soon it's a... It's a habit that they get into, and then they've also developed that habit in the horse where the horse just flips his hindquarters out to the outside every time he gets a little worried or the person picks up a little bit because he's like, oh, this is how I this is how I get release. 
And so I tell people, yeah, it's, it, you're right. It's an emergency break. And it's, it's really necessary. Like it's kind of like if it's kind of important, like you want that thing in there. Also, don't use the heck out of it. Like try not to wear it out. Like, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things that that's, I think that's one thing that I think the problem with humans is we lack a balance. You know, it's like, is, is moving the hip over important? Yes. Also, can we overdo it? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, is is bridling up and posture important? Yes. Also, have we seen it overused? Yes. And it's like, ah, you know, so it's, 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 we're all trying to find that perfect balance where we're like, hey, this is too much. This isn't enough. And so it's it's trying to find that spot uh, with the horse where we're where we're comfortable and where the horse is 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 in balance with anything. You have talked a little bit about you starting Colts and some of the guys that, that helped and mentored you. And then you also have got some, some people that have kind of apprenticed with you and, and, you know, they're now at a level where you can even send horses to them and, and you don't have to worry about that coming back on you or, or you, you would expect that it wouldn't. So why don't you tell us some of the attributes that you would find in a good Colt starter? What are the characteristics you're you're looking for there typically? Man, there's so there's so many. Are you talking physical or mental? I would say probably more mental, but I mean physical. I guess yeah. that 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 jumps in there too. That it's yeah. You, you got to have Maybe a little right. durability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's break it up. So the physical ones, and they got to be kind of sticky. They got to be. You know, they can't be falling off all the time. So they got to have a little bit of not, you don't want them. I like, I like it when they buck. Also, you can't be worried if they buck. And so that's, that's probably the physical part is, is one that says, Hey, you know, I don't, I'm not scared if he bucks. I don't want him to buck. I'm going to try to keep him from bucking. But if that thing decides he wants to have a come apart there, you know, it's not going to scare me enough to not get on tomorrow or, or to stop and get off. And, and so I would say a little bit, a little bit sticky, physical enough, um, agile enough to be able to, you know, the horse maybe wants to move around. I see a lot of horses in clinics, they outmaneuver the person because the person's pretty slow and moves like a snail and the pretty soon the horse is outmaneuvering them. And so you kind of need to be athletic enough, agile enough to be able to fit. It's a physical job. It's not a, it's not a job that's, that's easy. So that for that's I'd say for the physical attributes it's that for the mental I would say one that's a problem solver trying to figure out why that horse is doing it and coming up with a situation that where you can help the horse figure out that that's what you want you know the solution that you want I I taught lots of horses on accident to to do things I didn't want them to do and it took me a little while to figure out oh yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't tie them you know like I mean I knew. I knew about pressure and release and, hey, don't let the the wrong thing be the right answer. And I taught a horse to pull back because I just made enough mistakes. You know, you tie him up with a bad halter. So then the next time you tie him up with a good halter, but a bad lead rope. And then you tie him up with a good halter and a good lead rope. Oh, but to a post that would come out. And so now, you you know, pretty soon by the, by the time you made all the mistakes, you made five or six. And he's pretty good at pulling away from from stuff and so now you really have to fix it and then the next time you don't make those mistakes and so you go oh don't you know check your halter check your lead rope check what you're going to tie him to 
and you go down the list. So you make less mistakes. So I think problem solving, not being, not being angry. I think a lot of, a lot of times we, we, we run out of, we run out of tools in our toolbox and now we're mad. And so now we're going to, by golly, beat him a little harder and get him, get him to figure it out. And I, I would say, yeah. And the mental thing is just not being angry, being, being, uh, methodical, being problem solving, go, Hey, why did, why did this happen? Well, okay. This happened. Okay. How do we fix it? And then go to the next step and, and, and a learning attitude, trying to figure out how to get a little bit better. And I think most trainers, they're always trying to get a little bit better. So we, that's kind of a natural, a natural thing with the, but especially with the cult starters, knowing every cult is going to be a little bit different. And after a while, the more you've done, the less surprises you get. But at first, it's there's a lot of surprises. They'll they'll surprise you with something. One of the things I like to to kind of get into is sort of the reality versus the ideal. We now have this whole social media world, and there's a whole lot of idealistic stuff that gets put out there. But but for uh, mm-hmm. for guys like us that have seen some of the bad stuff happen and all, how do you feel about that? Like I I see a lot of anthropomorphism take place where i i mean I, i'm just listening to people talk about horses and i'm like you you don't even know what a horse is i mean you're you're just i don't know what unicorn you have in your head but that's not a horse like that's not how they are and now there's kind of a movement about you have to have the horse's consent and that kind of stuff and i'm, I'm still not exactly sure what that means but i'm pretty sure i've done a lot of things with a horse where maybe i didn't have their consent when things went and I, I sleep good at night regardless. Um, I kind of feel as we were talking about the, the cult starter, one of the, the big things there to me is that I've never met a good cult starter. That was a really emotional, volatile sort of person. Most of the time they kind of an even kill they're unflappable, something like life threatening can happen and two and a half seconds later, they're they're okay. Yeah. You know, it, it's the, the the bull rider wreck kind of a thing, and then yeah. they just pick up their rope and walk out of the arena. And so, what are you you kind of agree with that? Because we sort of have, oh, yeah, yeah. This, again, this whole movement of emotional horsemanship, and I'm in my horsemanship journey. I've always thought one of the biggest challenges is not being emotional, keeping your all of that in check. And that sort of is almost like the path to the dark side for the, the star Wars reference. You, you get into that whole yeah. emotional side of things. And I mean, it, it you know, happy's an emotion, but anger's an emotion too, right? It all leads to the same. So thoughts. Yeah. I, I try not to try not to use or particularly to impress my emotions on the horse. Like I'm, I, I don't think horses are super emotional. They, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't get mad. They'll, they'll push on another horse and they may, you know, one of them wants to get the other one's feed and they'll lay their ears back at that one. If that one doesn't move, then they'll escalate up the, you know, the pressure up until they're kicking and biting and striking. And then one of them's going to leave. And when the other one leaves, the other one doesn't chase him off. He doesn't say, now I'm going to extract my pound of flesh and now you're going to pay for it. He just says, okay, well, then we're done. And he eats his food and the other one goes off and, and 
20 minutes later, they're staying, standing head to tail, switching flies. And so they're not, they're not mad at each other. They're just like, Hey, this is, I think I'm bigger than you. I think you should move from me and, and we're going to have this discussion and then it's going to go from there. And I think what happens is sometimes we, we say, well, that horse is pushing on me so he doesn't respect me or whatever. And he's like, no, maybe he doesn't, maybe you haven't done anything to deserve that respect. So, you know, just because he pushes on you doesn't mean you need to, doesn't need you need to punish him. You might, you might not back down and you might bump into him a little bit and you might have a discussion about whose feet should move from whose, but that doesn't mean I'm mad at the horse. and It doesn't mean the horse is mad at me. We're just having a discussion on who's going to lead this here dance. And like I say, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I think that it's true. You, if you're going to work with horses, you need to be pretty chill, pretty even keeled in your, in your emotions and not, not always think the horse is out to get you or the horse is mad at you or the horse is doing something to spite you. It's like, mm, probably not, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty even keeled. So I think that's, that's super important. And then I, I tell people in my clinics, I try to, I try to make my clinics where they're, they're pretty open to anybody. And I, I try not to tell people they have to do it a certain way. And I tell people, look, you can do it any way you want. I'm going to show you how I do it. And there's a, there's a scale, you know, you can, you can go out there and if your horse doesn't want to get caught that day and you don't feel like imposing that on him, then don't. Don't impose it on him. It's not going to bother me any. But when I go out to catch my horse, it's not. A, it's, it's not. A, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, could you get caught today so I could go for a ride? It's like we've got cows to put in, and so uh, if you want, you know, you're you're a little bit of in you're in my employment. Like I'm feeding you, taking care of you, providing all the vet care for you, and so because of that, you you know you need to earn your keep a little bit, and so. So I kind of, that's how I kind of do it. But I tell people, look, you, if you don't, you don't want to do that. That's not, I'm not going to be mad at you. If you think, you know, you, you've done enough with your horse today. Your horse has performed whatever you think he, he needs to do. And you want to take the rest of the day off and give him sugar cubes. That's totally up to you. Just, you know, just you do you. And so I kind of help. I just kind of lead by example. And I tell people, look, my horses. I'm going to be probably, I'm going to expect more out of my horse than you mate out of yours. And I'm not going to tell you that you should expect more or should expect less. I'm going to tell you where I expect my horses to be. And then you can decide how you want your kids to, to operate. I tell people, and, and I'm showing my age a little bit. When you try to use references, a lot of times the younger kids, they don't get it, you know. But I was at a clinic and I said, remember in The Sound of Music when Mr. Von Trapp introduces all the kids to Maria and he blows his boatman's whistle and and all the kids march down the stairs and they line up in front of him and they each step forward and say their name and their age and they step back in line and I said yeah and I said okay so on a scale of one to ten that's a nine like that's probably a little too structured for especially the younger kids and and the older kids is probably fine but that's that's a lot of structure like that's high level of structure and I said then on the other end of the spectrum you have Beavis and Butthead and the Simpsons and I don't care where your kids operate. They can operate on either end of that spectrum or somewhere in the middle. And I'm going to tell you, for me, my horses are going to operate on a scale of 1 to 10 around a 7. And that's where I'm happy with them. And so you can have your horses operate at a 3 or 4 or at a 
eight or nine. It doesn't matter to me. You you pick where you are happy with your horses operating, and then I'll help you get that communication going. But I'm not. I'm going to tell you what's possible. My job is to educate you on how to get that to happen, and then inspire you to what could be possible with your horses. Do you would you say on that scale like you're perfectly consistent from from start so I, I'm thinking more of this in a linear timeline so yep. so I'll give you the counter example here like I tend to be more strict with a horse that I'm new with and then as they're on the road and we don't have any problems then i might relax about certain things here and there because yeah. i know if i have a problem i can pretty easily get them back here would you say that's fair or are you you a little more consistent than that or, or what no i would say the i tell people look when you're when when you're first when you first meet somebody you're not going to give them the keys to your car and the and the and the code to your gun site because you don't know them. Now, if you know them a little while and they're pretty good friends of yours and you go, hey, borrow my car or, you know, here's, you know, there's something in my safe. Could you go grab it? And you're you'll let them you'll get you'll entrust them with more with more high value things. You're not going to do that with somebody you just met. So and then at the same time, you meet some person and then. You know, after you know him a while, you go, you know, that I don't, I don't think that guy's very trustworthy. I don't think that person, well, you're not going to, you're not going to, I want to borrow your car. Uh, mine's in the shop, you know. And so the same thing with the horse. I'm, I'm going to start off going, hey, look, I'm going to treat you well. I'm going to treat you civilly. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you jump through hoops, but there's some common decency things that we need to, you know, some rules we need to establish. And then as the horse goes along, I'm going to say, well, you know, I really, I don't think if I gave you a little freedom, I don't think you'd use that against me. I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd try to hurt me if I gave you a little bit more freedom. And then there's horses that you're like, I think if I gave you a little more freedom, you'd try to kick my head. So, uh, or paw at me or, or kick me in the bell buckle. So then I'm not going to do as, you know, I'm going to say, you, you can, you need to follow the rules. This other one, well, you can, I'll give you a little bit more freedom. And so I, I go on a, a horse by horse basis, but I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm going to have my minimum expectations. And then depending on how the horse behaves and responds, I'm going to say, uh, I think, I don't think you'd try to use the skills that I give you or let you, the freedoms that I give you against me. So I'm going to let you have more, more freedom. So I'll even tell on myself here. A little bit. I know this is the kind of thing that would absolutely curl some people's hair, but like my finished horses, I would even allow them to graze in a bridle or to uh, mm -hmm. like riding down the trail if they get a little nip here and there. As long as they didn't really leave me, I'm okay yeah. with that because I feel like in the course of a 12 hour day, it's reasonable for them to put a little something in their stomach here and there. And I know if I pick up on the reins, you know, they're going to be right there in the middle yeah. uh, with me. Yeah. Uh, so that like, that's one of those things that I know there are people that that would just drive them absolutely crazy. But I also know the way a horse's digestive system is supposed to work. And if I leave it empty for 12 hours, that's not going to be conducive to my horse being uh, problem free down yeah. the road. So one thing you mentioned a minute ago, I would, I would like to get into with you was bucking. 
because again, I've definitely heard some people and even a couple of highly experienced people that I think are using this more as a marketing thing, but, but sort of that divergence from reality. There are definitely people that feel like if a cult ever bucks, you failed, you, you failed the cult and you skip some steps or something like that. And I kind of just feel like it's not that big of a deal. Some of them are going to buck. Some of them aren't some of them. If I took three weeks, I could probably have had them not buck, but was that one thing worth three more weeks or was it just let's get it over with and 20 seconds later we're fine or, or so so what are some of your thoughts on on that? Do you do you see that movement yeah. of if the horse ever bucks you failed? Have you come across that or you know, some of those people that have that go same thing that that whole consent asking for consent. If your horse bucks you've done something wrong and it's like, oh, if the horse is still bucking after a while, yeah, maybe you need to kind of, it, it could be the horse or it could be the way you've gone about working with it. It, it could be one of one of the two. It doesn't mean it has to be, you know, the the trainer. It doesn't mean it has to be the horse. It, it, it could be a combination of either one. But yeah, I don't worry too much about it. I, there was somebody that came to the, one of the clinics and they were talking about if the horse bucks and I said, and anyway, they, they had, you know, God works things out sometimes in the, in the most peculiar ways, you know, and anyway, they, there was a pasture there where we could turn our horses loose and there was two or three big runs. And so anyway, this particular, I didn't say too much because I don't like to stir up controversy. She turned her horse loose and he went, you know, he's been, you know, in a stall for a day or two and, you know, it was, we were going to turn our horses loose. And so I turned my horse loose and he trotted out there and laid down and rolled around and got up and started eating and she turned her horses loose her horse loose and this thing runs out there and it's bucking and kicking and running around the pasture and i said man what'd you screw up <laughs> and she said what do you mean i said your horse is bucking and she's like well he just does that for playing i said well if he does it in playing i mean how do you know he's not playing when you put the the saddle on and you you told me if he ever bucks we've done something wrong and so she kind of had to think about it for a second was like, oh, well, I mean, he's doing that just playing. And I said, I think you're right. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with a horse playing and bucking. And, you know, yeah, so sometimes sometimes I mean, I know kids are the first time you put a set of clothes on them. They don't want that and they try to take them off, too. But, you know, not that wearing clothes are bad. You know, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. I know some people they take that kid doesn't like wearing shoes. And so he's always coming out of his shoes. Well, you know, it's like, look. So yeah, I don't I don't worry too much about it unless it becomes a a big habit or something. Then I'll start looking for reasons. Um, maybe we can get it fixed or or adjusted. But yeah, I think some horses they never want a buck, and some horses they're a little bit cinchier, a little bit cold back or whatever. And they like play. Some of them like playing around. They kind of crow hop around. They're just kind of acting fresh. And some of them have an issue. Some of them just don't like being confined with the saddle and so they kind of crow hop around there so there's lots of different reasons to do it but i don't worry too much about it i'm to, to me that kind of goes not. back to the the non-emotional even kill sort of a thing some people yep. see a horse buck and they have a really strong emotional reaction to it and then some of us it's just not a a big deal and i think you could apply that to sitting back and and other yep. other things like that where 
you know, it's just not as big a deal to everybody. To me, that's part of the putting their stuff on the horse. Cause I know that horse right. that just did that in seven seconds is fine again. And the person yeah. is worried for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, or, you know or, or 45 days or 45 yeah. days. <laughs> you bucked once 45 days ago. Wow. I mean, that was, that was a month and a half ago. Why are you worried about it? Has he bucked since? No, but he bucked him, you know, like, Hey, whose emotions are we trying to regulate here? Exactly. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things uh, I know we wanted to talk about together was some of the common myths and misinformation, misconceptions, that sort of stuff out there. So do you have any of those on your plate you'd like to get off and clear up? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of different, and they're all rooted in truth. You know, they've all, all got a little bit of truth somewhere in them. And it's just, we've kind of, I'm, I just was working on a, a video for my YouTube channel and I, and I entitled it never and always, you know, and anyway, a friend of mine, he put on there rules are for the strict adherence of fools and children and the careful consideration of thoughtful people. And I thought that was really good, you know, and I was like, you know, there, we have to, you know, anyway, there was the one I've heard about, you know, people will say never and always and, and I go, yeah, those aren't really very true. And the one of them I bring up is everybody's heard, never walk behind a horse. And we go, well, well, yeah, most of the time. And I'm like, yes, if you're a, if you're if you don't know very much about horses, or if you're a child, they, yeah, never. Why? Because they make one mistake, and it can it can really hurt them or kill them. Like that's a that's a that's a mistake you don't want to have happen. And then. Yeah, when you get a little older and you can kind of, you've been around horses a little while, you can kind of tell. You you know the signals when that horse says, I don't trust you and I don't want you behind me. You can you can see that from a ways away and you go, yeah, don't walk behind that horse. And then the other horse, he's like perfectly chill and you can rub him all over and, well, you can walk right, right, right around behind that one. No problem. And so there's a lot of, you know, that one, there's, you know, never wrap the rope around your hand. I was doing a clinic a few weeks ago and I had the, I wrapped the rope around my hand once and uh, a couple of people were aghast at that. And, and they said, you should never do that. And I said, never. And they said, never. I said, well, when I'm roping, I have seven coils. I have seven wraps around one hand that I'm going to rope a steer with. That's like not broke to lead. That's, that's okay. But I couldn't wrap my, the lead rope around my hand once with a half inch soft rope. And they kind of thought about it for a second. And I was like, look, I mean, I understand, but there's a, a particular way you should do it. And then there's a ways you shouldn't. And, and so. I, I kind of do that. I see that one too. And, and, it, and I do, I, I have coils in my hand all the time. I don't do the, the folded up thing. And so yeah. I tell people that's what I do. I hold it like this. And if I have a problem, if you just point your hand at the horse, that's running away from you. He's just going to pull all those coils right off and yep. you're, you're going to be fine. And so right. uh, it's really not, it's not that big of a deal, but uh, that's yeah, there's, one. I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that sometimes it's, I think there's, there's two reasons that happens. One of them is we've just tried to make it where we try not to get kids and idiots hurt. And so that's, that we just say, don't do X, Y, or Z. And then the other one is 
you know, some clinician will be trying to make money. And so he'll come up with a, hey, if I can just say don't do this or don't do that. And I'm like, oh, come on now. Um, you know, that's not that's that's maybe taking a bit too far. So I think there's, you know, two reasons why it happens. And, and sometimes we're just trying not to get those that don't have enough experience or education hurt. And then the other one is some snake oil salesman is trying to make money and 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 selling people a bill of goods. But yeah, those are the, the, the few of them I see. Well, one of the things I like to talk about too with, with fellow cult starters that have done this is some of the differences that you might see in various breeds. So most horse trainers kind of find a niche. And if you're like a, like you'd said earlier, a reigning horse trainer, your perspective of what starting a colt is, is probably pretty different than you and I's perspective who've seen a lot of other uh, type, because kind of like, like you were mentioning, those horses are kind of born pretty much broke and ready to, to go. And, and your biggest job is not to mess them up. And then there are other horses that really, require more thought and experience and so forth the the opportunity to not mess them up is a lot narrower <laughs> so right. with with some of the different breeds and stuff what what are like some of your favorites and and some of the different characteristics and things you think of when you think of starting those breeds i guess the big divide would be the english type horses versus the the western type horses but there's some overlap there and and also yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people the, uh, Oh, I heard it when I went overseas, uh, go to Europe and Africa a little bit to do some clinics and over there, they have a saying, it says horses for courses. And basically it's, you know, you know, if you're going to go jumping, use a jumping horse. If you're going to go packing, use a packing horse. And, and so anyway, it's the same thing. I think all the horse breeds were bred for, to have specific, characteristics and the one you want to use to cross the the arabian desert may not be the one you want to go chase cows down with or rope whatever or go show jumping with and so you know i've got there's lots of different vehicles i've got a motorcycle and a semi and guess what they're both great vehicles for their purpose and they suck when i try to use them for the other purpose and so like it's the same thing with horses it's like look some of them are those those warm bloods that are good at jumping are really scopy and they're really yeah try to go work a cow with one and yet not you're not going to have fun you're not going to enjoy it and so same thing when you're trying to get maybe your your hot-blooded little cutter that really watches a cow and he'll get down and what yeah we'll go out trail riding with him and when the stinking turkey flies out of the bushes like <laughs> good luck like he will, he'll roll back through himself far enough that you will be, you know, you'll be trying to look for something to grab onto. So, you know, appreciate the horse's skills and attributes for what they are and don't try to put them in a box. Don't go, well, we're going to, I, I love this little Arabian and he's going to be my go down the trail and drink beer horse. Cause it might, it might work. There's, I'm not saying I've seen some. I've seen some Arabians that were super quiet and they were super chill. And I've seen some that were anything but chill. So, you know, you figure out where your horse is and then try, try to, you know, appreciate them for what they are. And, 
And some of them are going to like doing one thing and some of them are going to like doing something else. So help, help them, you know, you, it's a relationship and that involves you and the horse. And the thing I like about being a horse trainer is I get to appreciate both of them. Like I really appreciate those horses that can get down and cut and work a cow and, and spin. And man, I love it. That's like, you know, you're like driving a little sports car. I mean, you can go like, Hey, let's go play. And then I like the big, kind of dopey looking, relaxing, quiet, half draft, whatever, that just goes down the trail. I'm like, hey, man, this is going to be great for some person that just wants to go down the trail and have a good time or whatever. And so I, I, I realized the attributes of both. And then I get to go, hey, this one's going to be good at X or going to be good at Y. And I appreciate both of them for what they bring to the table. And I also don't try to, to make one into something he's not. You do very many restarts. So I, uh, I'm glad you phrased it like that. Uh, I tell people you can't restart one. It's like, like, like you can say, you can, you can say I'm, I'm, I'm going to retrain it. You know, it's like, Hey, it's a little bit like, Hey, once uh, like, well, it's like, Hey, I'm a new virgin. No, you're not. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Like it. No, there was, the, there was the, you got started and you, we can retrain some things and we can, we can readjust how the horse maybe responds to stuff, but that stuff's in there and we're going to work around it. But we, it's not like we can push the alternate control delete button on the horse and, you know, get the, the men in black little light blaster and go, hey, we're going to erase all your memory and we're going to go do it. <laughs> no, like you can call it whatever you want. But so I do do a lot of horses that maybe got into some trouble before they didn't get along with a previous owner or trainer. And so they, they're kind of getting re reeducated. So I do a fair amount of that, but not as much now, a, a lot more before now. I, I don't do as much of it, but I still do a little bit. I tell, I try to tell people, Hey, if the more trainers he's been through and not been successful, the less likely I am to, to be able to fix it. Like there's, if he's been through some three or four people, Mm. unless they were unless they all three of them really were very poor there's not a good chance that i'm gonna be able to i'm not mad you know i'm not magic i'm you know yeah. sending him to a new trainer might not be might be worth it but i you know i'll help consult with them and and at least sometimes i'll bring them over and i'll kind of help them through a spot or two or whatever but um i try to tell people the the uh, when I when I'm at, at a cult starting thing, I always like telling asking people questions that make them think. And one of the things I tell them is, "What's the most important thing you teach a cult?" And of course, they'll come up with a bunch of things. And I go, "That's a really good answer, but it's not the one I'm looking for." Oh, that's a really good answer. And then at the end, I go, "The answer is nothing wrong. Like if you teach the horse three things that are right and two of them that are wrong, you're not making progress. Like you're going backwards. Like don't teach the horse anything wrong, even if you only teach him one thing, as long as it's the right thing." You'll make progress. You teach him, you know, you teach him two things that are right and one thing that's wrong. He doesn't know which one's wrong. So you're you're instilling some some things that are going to come back to bite you later. So I tell people the most important thing, especially in the beginning, is get those. And, and that's a th something I see in the industry that's that's lacking is cult starting. Now there's there's so many people that it's hard to find a cult starter in their area. They just, there's just not very many good ones. And 
And I would say that's something that I've been trying to work on is I've got a lot of kids that come to me and they want to learn how to start cold. So I kind of help them. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we get that industry a little bit better so that we, we get people that are better at starting colts and getting those kids to do that first, you know, kindergarten, first grade thing. And then they can go out in the, in the rest of the world and they can make their way and uh, get their fortune. But they, getting them through the first start is a, there's not as many people that, that do it now. So I'm having some, some thoughts here as you're talking, which I love people that are, that are kind of inspirational. I just have a hard time organizing all the little thoughts I have that I, I uh, refer to it like trying to catch sparks that are coming out of a campfire sometimes. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was about cult starters being fairly methodical. I don't know about you, but I get bored really, really easy. And so I probably have never started two horses the same. I do kind of, you know, jump around a little bit, but I think I have a good enough understanding of the map that we're not going to get lost or confused here. I kind of view the methodical stuff as more for the novices, like your your rules are for children and, and idiots. And, and once you've done that enough and you kind of recognize the where this thing is going now, you can you can play outside the lines a little bit and not get yeah. yourself too lost. So one of the the sayings that a guy said to me early on in my career, I was starting this colt that was the sort of colt that you knew he was going to be a good kid's horse one day. He just was, you know, nothing, yep. nothing bothered Stay him back. real easy. Yeah. And I'm doing all of this desensitizing stuff with him going through my, my little process. And the guy's watching me for a while and he goes, why are you doing all of that? And I was like, well, it's on my, my list. You know, he says, if you're driving an 18 wheeler and you're not pulling a heavy load, you could skip some gears and that yeah. has always stuck with me. You know, that, that he's absolutely right. That this is not necessarily a good time investment. And, in, in this horse might need to spend way more than that on this next one, you know, but, but yeah. this horse isn't bothered by all that stuff. I can skip a few yeah. of those things. Not yeah. that you want the holes in the foundation at some point. Right. But um, yeah, sometimes if you, if you wave the plastic bag around him a little bit, and your your checklist, you know, and that's the thing I hate about the recipe. You know, it's like, oh, you've got to flap the stick 27 times on both sides of them. And it's like, look, if you can wave a plastic bag up there and, and rub him on the back and underneath the belly, and he's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Like, you can do it if you want to, but it's not going to make – he's already told you he's fine with it. Like, it, it's de- definitely necessary if he says, I think that's going to kill me and I'd like to kick your kneecap off. Yes, then probably helping him – understand that that's going to be okay is is something that's worthwhile and probably necessary but if he's just like yeah yeah he's had blankets on him and kids climbing all over him and whatever he's like i'm 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 fine then you don't need to do all that you don't need to do all that stuff you can you can skip a step or two and go hey how about the blanket how about the saddle this is something i kind of like to go into with all of the the guys that i talk to that have been in this business i should say ladies too i'm not trying to be but they've been in the business long enough decades to see mm-hmm. things changing through the years and, and you talked about this a little bit with the raining horses and honestly i'm not sure if we talked about that before 
the conversation, uh, the official podcast started or, or not, but it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine too. We have improved horses through breeding a lot in the last 30 years, 40 years. Uh, but like you, I am concerned that the lack of tough horses is taking away some of the skills of the next generation because they've only ridden these reining horses that are born to stop and turn around or, or the um, Patrick King had talked about some of the Lusitanos that are born doing canter pirouettes and that kind of stuff. It's just so ingrained in their genetics that you don't really have to be skilled to get them yeah. to, to do it. And I really think that that's one of those things I fear is we're, and I don't, I don't mean this in the amateur horse population. I'm talking about the professionals here that, that we've got some kids. I've, I've certainly seen this. Some of these kids where they think this is a tough horse. I need a little help. And you go see the horse and you're like, yeah, this is a, this is not a tough horse. I have good news for you. We're going to be yeah. fine here, you know? <laughs> so have you run across some of that? Do you have similar fears or? Yeah. Um, I, so my background are a lot, I've done a lot of the Mustang stuff. And so I see kind of the, like, I, I see where you're coming from, but most, a lot of the kids came up through that Mustang thing. And so a lot of the kids that, that I get for internings have done the Mustang thing. And so, you know, mm -hmm. go get one that's not very, that's, you know, that's been bred for natural selection, which means not trainable and tough. And so, you know, yeah. those, those are, yeah, those are tend to be, yeah, a little bit tougher. So you're right. I think, I think, uh, making the, the ones that are trainable and super easy, they, yeah, they tend to make us soft, you know, they're not, we're like, Hey, this one's, this one's pretty easy. And so I, I do think that it's helped the industry getting horses that are more trainable, but also, you know, we, we don't, our skills haven't um, maybe kept up with it. And also it, it makes us a little lazy. Like if a horse, we have to work for more than a week on something, we're like, oh, this one's not going to make it. We should, you know, we should just, we should just quit. And it's like, you only spent a week on it. Like try, try, you know, try working a little harder at it. You know, just because it didn't come easy doesn't mean that that horse is not going to, not going to be the something that can work. So yeah, yeah I, I, have, I, I do. I have seen that where the horses they'll give up too easy on a horse. It's like man, try, try putting a little work into it, a little elbow grease. I had a, a a pretty good friend of mine that that sent me some videos of a horse she had sent to a, a trainer. He was a a reining horse guy, and he told her after riding that horse two weeks that she needed to put it down because he couldn't get it to slide more than about three or four feet and it wasn't turning around real smooth yet. And I mean, she sent me the videos and I'm watching them like he's, you know, he's kind of a green kid and that, that's all right. But like this horse isn't remotely doing the kind of stuff that would, I would, I, I'm, it takes an awful lot before me to yeah. make that kind of a recommendation, yeah. you know? So, right. Yeah. Um, one of the things you brought up there, I'm really glad that you did. Cause I, I really haven't thought about this in that way, but the Mustang stuff, uh, I have not participated in it myself because I have some objections to some of the stuff that the BLM 
does, and I don't want to be a part of their marketing program. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you, I, I don't even know if they still have this on their website, but I had gone on there and I did the math and all myself and did a little digging into the deal. Would you like to guess what we spend on the Mustangs per head for their lifetime? Oh, I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it, it's got to be, yeah, I would say 1000 or better, 20000 so, per it, head. So we we budget 50000 and then in true government style, we overspend by about 50%. So a horse yeah. that never sees a vet, never has his hoof trimmed, never eats anything but hay and water or is out on a range, we somehow managed to spend $75,000. And the average age of them is eight. Not 28, yeah. not 18, yeah. eight. Eight, yeah. And so when I got to looking into that stuff, I would, I would just, I can't, uh, I would love to do it. I think it would be fun, but I, I just cannot bring myself to be a yeah. part of it. But like you just said, I do like the fact that like we got a lot of these young kids that are doing that and Mustangs are legit. You're, you're not going to bypass some of the tough stuff and get out of there nice and easy. You're going to have yeah. to, to stand forth and they're probably going to try to kill you a time or two in the process. So, and they're, and for, like especially that. for the younger trainers, they're free. Like, Hey, where else, you know, I mean, mo I tell people, look, I, like I agree the politics, politics behind the, the, some of the stuff the BLM does. And, and yeah, we could go on. Yeah, we, could get ourselves, we could get both of ourselves in a lot of trouble talking about that very long. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I tell the kids, Hey, look, it's a free competition. Like you don't have to pay for the horse. You don't have to pay to enter. Like all you got to put is the work into it. And then you sell the horse to somebody else and then they get to take it. And I said, Hey, look, if you want to talk about free advertising and, and, you know, getting some education and experience, Hey, this is the deal. So just, you know, that's what I tell them. I say, Hey, go, go try one. If you want, if you're looking for advertising and, and experience, that's a good, the good avenue to go to, especially for those kids that can't afford to go buy a prospect and train it for a year. And yeah, those are three month deals. Train it for, for three sure. months and sell it. Yeah, yeah. Especially you don't have a full barn. You got five right. hours a day to sit here and play yep. with this thing because that's kind of exactly. what that's going to take. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Well, why don't you talk with us a little bit about one of the areas we are a little different? Um, at least I gather is you come in more from the Ray hunt school and all you do a lot of starting colts off of another horse. Um, and I've done uh -huh. some of that, but not a, not a ton of it. I'm more, uh, I guess I, I started that stuff. The seed got planted more from John Lyons for me with his round pin stuff where you're standing on the ground with, and I, I haven't done nearly as much of that off of the horse. So why don't you tell us, a little bit about your your views there and and the pros and cons of of working a horse off of another horse yeah so i i don't know that it's much different um you know i i do it on the ground and off horse i like doing it off a horse because i think it's a little bit faster and it's a little bit quicker more efficient so, you know, one thing I said before was, you know, don't teach a horse anything wrong. And so if you have your saddle horse and you 
you know, he's on the end of the halter and you dally to your horn and you use a flag a little bit and that horse decides he's leaving town, like your horse can hold him. And if you're on the ground, he can pull that rope through your hand. Now he's not going to get away from you. He's not going to leave the county because he's in a round pen, but he's still going to be able to get away from that flag. He's going to put some distance between you and that flag. And so I kind of like to be able to, to say, hey, look, the, some things are going to happen. And, and I want to teach you that, hey, just because you're a little worried doesn't mean you can, you can jerk on me and, and leave town and, and pull the rope through my hand. So I like being able to have the horse there to kind of back me up as, as a similar to like a snubbing post or something. But I like the horse that it's flexible enough that the horse will move a little bit. There's some give in his feet. You know, he'll, he'll, if he's standing there and a horse pulls on him, he'll move six inches or a foot. So it's not like it's tied hard and fast, but also he, you know, my, my saddle horse, he goes, Hey, come here. And so he'll, he'll, you he won't let him pull him very, very far anyway. And, and so I like that. I like the fact that it keeps me a little safer. You know, we're talking about those spoiled horses, and sometimes you don't realize that they'll run you over and step on you and bite you and kick you. And, and if I'm on my saddle horse, that's I feel way safer. Like he'll he'll I've had horses run into my saddle horse and and move us a foot or two. And I think, man, if I was on the ground, he'd have run plumb over the top of me. And so I I like that effect. I think it's one of the for me, it's one of the best ways to start a cult, but it's it's super challenging as far as trying to teach other people. It's, it you have to ride. You have to have, first of all have a horse that is capable of doing it, and then you have to ride that horse while you're flagging the other one. So it's it's a, a very complicated to learn how to do it. But I I don't know that it's the the basics are pretty much the same as doing it afoot. You're just able to move your feet a little bit a little bit easier. You've got something you can dally to, so you can stop that horse from trying to leave if you if you if he decides he wants to jerk on you a little bit, make you make yourself a little stronger. Um like say you're a little safer. You can get over the top of the horse so the horse can see you on both sides. You can rub your hand over it and 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 like say I've had some horses try to you know, you rub them on the neck and they go to sling their head around there and and they'll bump into my horse or or something and it, it's a little bit safer for me so i i like it but i tell people it's more of an advanced it's it's way more advanced don't if you're not used to doing it um yeah, yeah. don't don't try it for the first time that is sort of how i feel about it too like if you do not want to be learning to dally and have a horse on the end of the line at the same time. There, there are pieces no. there you need to have already mastered yeah. or there's going to yeah. be chaos going on. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Both, one of the, all three of you will end up in the wreck. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, one of the things I have found, it's really, really good for the horse you're using as well. Like I've had a couple horses that were, immature and you know sometimes you have that horse you've ridden them pretty good while but they just really are they're the one that needs a job or, or something like that and once you've ponied a few horses off of them and all they kind of figure that deal out and they start working with you like I say that that horse challenges them and pulls them around a little and they go hey i know how this is gonna go we're not gonna and they, they get like a little pride of of work yeah. and then they're with you and all that and man you can just see them blossom and it's like they they go from a boy to a man on you there in a, in a, a couple of weeks at working other horses. 
yeah. I, I have definitely found it, at least for me, there is nothing quite like working a horse off of another horse. So what I mean by that is like, you can have a horse that you've worked cattle with and, and done a lot of stuff with, but when you get them in a position where you ask them to go push on another horse, like there's no preparatory step there. It's always a baptism yep. by fire, sort of a, a moment for me. You feel that way as well? Oh, oh yeah. 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 I've had horses that, you know, they've roped lots of cattle and they've, you know, rounded up stuff and done a lot of things. And then you ask them to run, you know, move a horse around or, or step in front of a horse or chase one and rope it, man, they, it, a lot of, like I say, a lot of times it'll, it'll pull back a curtain on a, on a spot that you didn't know existed there. They'll get hot and pushy and, and yeah, it, it can, it can, it can definitely, yeah, like it's baptizing by fire because they, sometimes they'll really get worked up a little bit. But I, I do think it's really good for them, man. They'll, they'll figure out, hey, this is what you want me to do. And they'll, so fun. You know, there's, there's different things for me in training that give me goosebumps. And that's one of them when I'm working a horse and I'm, you know, just going along there and I'll, get them like maybe saddled up or whatever and i'm pushing them around with my with my saddle horse so i'm saying hey i'll have a flag and i'm pushing that horse and he's probably normally he's loose in the round pen or whatever i'll be pushing him around and my horse will be helping me push him i mean he'll his his attitude his expression on his face says you should go and i'll be pushing him around and then i'll say yeah he's doing pretty good and then i'll decide that hey i want to sidle up beside that colt and pet on him a minute and get the halter rope so I can do a little groundwork or I can get unsaddled him or whatever. And you'll, you'll, your body will change and you'll see that horse's expression soften and he'll sidle up to that horse like, Hey, I just want to hang out with you. And that horse will just stand still and you'll just, a minute ago, he was, had his ears laid back and was pushing that horse around and your expression, you know, your body said, Hey, I want to go over there and, and catch him. And you'll see that horse just get soft and kind of, He'll just, his whole body will change and he'll just kind of go over there and he'll kind of arc around there like he just wants to sidle up to the, that horse and he'll help you get close to that horse. And if that horse moves away a little bit, he'll move towards him just at the same speed. Just like if you were on the ground and you were trying to reach up there and the horse moves away and you'll just keep going nice and easy and have your hand out there and pat on him a minute. And it's so fun for me to, to feel that in that, in that saddle horse because you know... It's like your brains are connected. Like you have connected with that saddle horse on a level that's that's super intimate. Like you're like are we're thinking the same thoughts. That's that's fun place to be. Like he becomes your wingman or something like that. Yeah. Almost. So, yeah. 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 It's like your twins or something. Like you and your and you know we all have friends and 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 partners and stuff that we know what each other's thinking. You know, we finished, you finish somebody's sentence. It's, it's, it's that, that type of, that type of connection where you just think something and your horse is going, got it. Don't worry. Got it. I, I feel, I, I understand what you're wanting to do and I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to take care of it for you. And that's so much fun to, to get to that level of communication with a horse. Absolutely. What sort of milestones are you looking for before you're going to use a horse? For that is that something you had to have ridden a few years or three rides or, or somewhere in the middle or 
or what? Um, yeah, somewhere in the middle. Like, um, I like doing it. Like, I it's it's way easy. It's e- the the better the horse is, the more the more solid the horse is, the easier it is to do. I like doing it. Like I say one of the reasons I like using a saddle horse is because that horse also gets worked, and so I kind of like you know, working two horses at the same time. So if I've got a bunch of horses like this, the ranch I'm at now, they've got, oh, five or six horses that I've started before. So, you know, I'm using one of those to pony around some of the young colts because, hey, it's it's good for, I can get two horses rode at the same time or worked at the same time. So that's, that's a little bit, a little bit more efficient. So I like doing it. Um, and I just kind of, uh, my judgment is if I can, so there's two parts of the, two parts of the equation. One of them is my saddle horse. How solid is he? How much will he listen to me? If things start to go a little south, will he still listen to me and do what I ask him to do? And then the, th- the other part of the equation is the horse I'm ponying. If, if I'm ponying a, a horse that's used to being ponied and is not going to pull back and sling his head and try to kick my saddle horse, then I can use one that's a little bit greener. Like I could pony something, I could pony something that maybe I've only rode three or four or five times. And if I pony my good saddle horse, that, that won't be a problem at all. My horse will just lead. I could pony him, you know, not, not have to dally. Now, if I'm going to pony something I think is going to, you know, the first time or two, and maybe it's a Mustang that I have to rope and he's going to sling his head and, and jump around there, then I need something that's way more capable. So, you know, I, I try to, I would say probably on average, after I've ridden them for two weeks, I'm going to probably not going to do the first day, but I would do the second or third day. That's fair enough. I have had conditions where I I was ponying colts off the of colts, like, like starting four or five colts and take the gentlest ones and then pony the rest of them on day two and all. And, and I don't know that I would recommend that for just anybody, but, uh, Man, that's a broke set of colts before uh, you know a couple of weeks. Yeah. They're way further than than most of them are a couple of weeks. But you yeah. got to survive the journey in the first place. <laughs> so. And that's the thing is, you know, depending on the skill of the person, you know, that you're like a, a pretty good colt starter that that's used to riding colts. Well, we can get away with that because we we can help our we fill in for our colt way more. And then if you have a person that doesn't, you know, that's that's they're going to be a little late. Um, with their cues, they're gonna, they're not going to see a situation start to shape up. We know we see the horse out there and we're like, oh, he's going to do this next. And so we're already starting to turn our horse or get our horse ready to respond to what we're going to want to do. The other person, they don't even know that's coming. Like they, the horse does it. They're like, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. And I was like, yeah, I saw that about three seconds ago. And so the, the more familiar you are with, you know, reading the horse, the, the easier it is for you to use a horse that's not quite as solid or not quite as advanced. I don't want to be contrary or, or like trying to disagree with you. It, it's just a little, uh, it's my perspective, I guess, of what yeah. I've seen. But yeah. I certainly like that there are some really good Colt starting hands that, you know, there was a time period where every clinician had a Colt starting video. And I agree with you, we kind of seem to be a decade beyond that or, or something now, but I'm trying to figure out how to say this without being condescending. Cause I don't mean to be, but like, as I have done more and more clinics, 
I'm I'm watching people have problems with broke horses, not colts. And so my I guess my estimation of like I would here's what I'm trying to say. I don't think 90 maybe 95% of people belong on a 30-day colt. I may be a little little you know exaggerated on that but i've seen way too many people have trouble with way broker than a 30-day colt and you know you may have done i've done some colt starting clinics i haven't done a ton of them and and so i maybe i'm not as comfortable watching gentiles as baxter black would have called it get bumped around there <laughs> a little bit <laughs> um, but so i guess that would be that would be my my thoughts for you is sort of how you gauge that because that that's one of those things that the more i do the clinic stuff the less inclined i am to show people certain things because i feel yeah. like a large part of the, like the pony and the horse i've been thinking of doing a video on that for a while and then every time i really get to thinking about it i'm like this is probably something i should not do yeah. and show the public because i'm going to get somebody right. killed yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. Like, there's there's so many people that you're like, yeah, you know, and I I don't want to be too condescending, but you know, there's always every year there's at least one person in a clinic somewhere that I go, I think to myself, they should take up swimming. <laughs> you know, they should, they should, they should, they should take up something besides horses because that oh, they're 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 close to getting in trouble. And so, yeah, I, I, I hear where you're coming from because there's a lot of people that are having problems with their horses that are, they've had two or three or four years of riding and they're still having problems with them. And you're like, like that one's, a, that one's not bad. Like that one's pretty easy. Like you, sh like you, you shouldn't have a problem with that, with that horse. And it's, I think, uh, um, part of it's, we've got a lot of new people coming in, you know, that, that haven't been around horses. I think. You know, somebody was, we were talking the other day about uh, common sense and the problem with it is there's, there's a lack of it. We used to have a lot more consequences for actions and now, yeah, there's not as many consequences. And so there's a lot, there's a whole group of people that have grown up where we, we told them the preparation H was for external use only. And, and we, we never let them, we never let them you know, there was too many OSHA rules and we never let them whack their finger with a hammer. We never let them, you know, and so they don't think through things. And so sometimes that common sense, logical stuff doesn't, you know, oh, yeah, you're just like, oh my goodness, you know, how, what are you, what are you doing? But there are, a, there are a bunch of, there is a bunch of that. And yeah, I, yeah, we live in a world where every single day you can watch a new video of some tourists that tried to put pet a buffalo in yeah. Yellowstone, yeah. right? But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or or do equally equally stupid things, you know? I mean, just not. I mean, you're like, oh my goodness, what did you think was going to happen there? But yeah, so yeah, there are a bunch of, you know, and that's where I'm trying to just get people to just be better about horses, just learn and. and as, as much as I like, you know, learning from different videos, I just wish people would go to more clinics and just get one, more hands-on, one-on-one, uh, you know, especially for the beginners. For those people that are 
on a scale of one to ten, if they're a zero to a three, I think clinics are the the best money you can spend. Go to somebody that's pretty good and and learn that kind of stuff, and then after you get pretty good, then you can watch the videos. There's just too much nuance in that's lost in the video for me. You know, they'll they'll be like, hey, here's how you start the cult, and you're like, there's there's a lot of you you would think you know that it's like I didn't know I had to say that and <laughs> like yep you have to say that really so yeah it, it's it's tough but yeah I I see it and I, when I was first started doing clinics I stupidly thought I want to train I want to hear my clinics to the advanced people and uh, yeah that's a I mean I love teaching advanced people and I love it when they show up because I enjoy helping those kind of people. But most of the people that come to the clinics are basic stuff and they just, that's what they're, that's what they want to learn. That's what they need. And so I really kind of work on helping those people get just a little, just the next step in their horsemanship journey. And a lot of times it's pretty basic stuff. One little thing I'm going to add to that, if you don't mind, is I see a lot of times people don't want to necessarily spend the money to go ride with a really good clinician and they kind of stay with the local hero, which, which is, that's fine. But sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I've seen a lot of people that spent five years on something we could have solved in a Saturday. If yeah, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about there. Another yeah. thing I was just going to say is that, like we do live in this world of virtual and, and all of this. And I, I almost feel like it's getting to a point where we have to justify why a clinic. And to me, there's absolutely no replacement for someone very experienced having the ability to read your horse in real time. Because a lot of yeah. times when, when people contact us, you know, this is what the problem is. Okay, well, here, let me tell you how to solve that problem. But to be honest, I don't know if that really is what your problem is. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, I, like the the misidentification of what's going on here is very, very, very common. So yeah. uh, that's one of those things that I think a clinic is is ideal at solving. So, you know, you, I interrupted yeah. you there. You were going to say no, something. I, no, I agree. It's It's, and I think this is something that, it's hard to figure out the the right way to go about fixing it because it. Yeah, I tell people the good thing about horse trainers is you don't need a certification to do it. There's no government qualification to say he's qualified to be a horse trainer, and I think that's a good thing. It's also a bad thing because anybody can hang out their shingle and go, I, I are. Last week I couldn't spell horse trainer, now I are one. You know, <laughs> you know, and and somebody will come to them and pay them money and. And so it, it's blow, both a blessing and a curse, and and so I'm trying to figure out how to how to kind of help that because there's always people that say they're a horse trainer, and some of them some of them know, some of them are actually selling people a bill of goods, and they know that they're fleecing people, and they're they're actually doing and then other people are just ignorant they just don't know that they don't know any better that that what they're giving people is information that's not credible i i think most of the people that i learned from when i was growing up 
or when I was just starting getting horses, they weren't trying to lead me down the wrong path. They were just giving me the best information that they had, which wasn't very good information. And then when I got into some, you know, I was, you know, went to Bucks and I went to a few other guys. Then I started watching one trainer and I was like, you're fleecing people. You are telling people the wrong thing to keep them coming back. And, and I don't like that. I think you're more of a snake oil salesman than a clinician. And then there was other people that were, they would just tell it like it is. Hey, you can, you can, you know, if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, no hard feelings. And so I think it's, it's tough to try to figure out how to police our industry and, and figure out how to help the, the trainers that are really doing a good job get better and, and the trainers that aren't doing such a good job kind of maybe pull the, pull the sheet back from, or pull the curtain back to a little bit and let people see the stuff. And I think podcasts are, you know, they're, they're a good way to like let people figure out the difference maybe, or, or uh, I've, I've talked about uh, a couple of guys that I'm friends with, you know, we've talked about maybe doing a, a deal where you get some really good clinicians and you, you watch the up and coming ones or the guys that maybe apply and you say, I think he's a, on a cult starting level, he's a seven. And in a reigning level, he's a five. And in a this, he's a two. And then you, you kind of have a, a, a governing board or, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a <laughs> non, nonpartisan deal. Say, Hey, I've watched him. I know how he operates. That guy's pretty decent. He's trustworthy. Um, and this is where his skill level is. And then this guy, mm, yeah, he's a, he makes he gives the rest of us a bad name. So yeah. I think I think sometime in the near future the technology is gonna kinda start catching up there and I think we're gonna see a little bit of that and and hopefully it'll do the industry some good. That is I, I seem to be talking about this a lot lately and, and I, I just say like on a on a personal level, that's one of the most disheartening parts of this whole journey for me. I was at a particular expo and I was I was doing the MC and, and there was a clinician there that I had had heard of and had been compared to a fair bit, but I'd never actually met him and never, well, I might've met him, but I'd never seen him ride a horse yet. And then mm -hmm. he comes to the expo and he's riding his horse. And I'm like, this guy's a high level amateur, but yeah. I mean, he's not, if, if y'all are watching me ride a horse and then you watch him ride a horse and you think the same thing is going on, that scares the hell out of me because we're not in the same universe. And that was the, when I realized the crowd didn't know the difference, yeah, that that was uh, so. So now I'm kind of on this journey. I've been talking about like the horseman's horseman, and I to me I've I've always thought Martin Black is kind of the epitome of that because if you watch Martin ride a horse, you know Martin's not the most. He doesn't have the verbal pitter patter that a lot right. of other have the smooth talking right. stuff, but if you're of a certain level and you watch him ride, you realize how good he is. If, if you're not of a certain level and you watch him ride, then he probably just looks like a guy that's out there not doing much, you know? And, yeah. and so, so how do we solve that? How do we, we get the crowd to um, understand who's, who does know what the hell they're doing and who might not. Yep. yep. Uh, so I'll give you two examples. The, the, the first one is, I think we educate people and inspire people. And 
most of the clinicians that I look up to don't do enough inspiring. Like, so I watched Buck and I watched Martin Black and I watched Peter Campbell and I watched a bunch of other guys and they wouldn't show off. You, you didn't see them drop their bridle and ride around bridalist. But I, wa- I knew enough to see what they were doing. And I was like, man, that guy is good. Like that guy's doing some stuff that I don't know how he's doing it. It's like mm-hmm. magic. And he didn't say, hey, now I'm going to do, you know, lead changes down the center. Tempe lead changes down the center line. And my horse's head won't come up. You know, it's like he didn't say that. He just did it. And then he just went off like it was no big deal and did some did some stuff. And you you would watch his hand and his hand didn't move and his horse would stop and roll back and his, he, he wasn't picking up on the rain. And and so um, and then you would watch somebody else that did a lot of, hey, now I'm going to do X and now I'm going to do Y. And their horsemanship wasn't nearly as good, but they were bragging about it and showing off and dropped the bridle and did this. And so it was like trying to find the balance between the two. And that's probably what I'm trying to work on is being able to say, look, this is what you could do with your horse. This is, I want to show you something that I hope inspires you to work harder to get to this level. Because if I don't show you, you're not going to, you're not going to put the work in to get to the next level. And then at the same time, give people enough homework and enough meat and potatoes that you're just not trying to sell your newest DVD video. You know, it's like, look, it's not, it's not all show. It needs to be meat and potatoes and this is how you do it. And then I think most of the clinicians are erring on one side or the other. You've got the guys that are, I tell people with a couple notable exceptions, most people that I've, that I've seen that everybody knows about, they're more like TV evangelists. They're, they're trying to make, they're in it for the money. Not, not so much for the, you know, the, the guy that's, the guy that's cooking at the soup kitchen. Now he's actually doing the work, you know, and it's like, you know, so you're trying to find the balance between the two. And I think so that's that was that was my guess. That was be my deal. My other thing I, you were talking about, you know, when somebody they didn't know the difference between what you were doing and what this other guy were doing. So one of the things I do when I'm doing a, a clinic is I say, OK, I want you to all think about the best horse person, you know. And I said, get a mental picture of them in your mind. And they go, OK. I said, now I want you to think of the worst horse person you know. And I want you to get a picture of them in your mind. And I go, okay. I said, I want you to put both those pictures on the desk. And I want you to tell somebody that doesn't know anything about horses to go get you one picture. And they're both riding the same color horse and have the same kind of clothes on. How do you tell them the difference? And a lot of times I'm like, oh, I I don't know. And I said, you're right. The difference between the best person you know and the worst rider you know is 90% the same. They're on top of a horse, leg on both sides, rein in each hand. The difference is a thousand little tiny details that you have to be really observant to watch. Because the kid that just learned how to ride and the person doing Grand Prix dressage is or cow working or reining, most of it looks the same. And so there's not... To the, to the untrained eye, most of it looks the same. And, and so I think trying to just get people to understand, you know, I said, look, when you're coming to the clinic, I'm not going to tell you one thing and it's going to change your life. I'm going to tell you the next thing you need to know. I'm going to say the, the next biggest part that, that you need to fix is this particular spot. And then when you fix that, then the next particular spot's this spot. And then the next particular spot's this spot. 
you know, I can't tell you one thing that's going to take you from a four to a seven. Like, uh, I can take you to four to a five, and once you get to five, I can teach you to six. But, you know, like, you know, if you don't know how to post, if you don't know how to post, I can't tell you to post on the direct diagonal because you don't know what the diagonal is, and you couldn't post if you were there. So, like, you got to you got to figure out the rhythm of the post. Okay, now now you can post. Okay, now you can understand that you can post on one diagonal or the other. Now I can help you with that, and now I can tell you the next thing and the next thing, but I, I think that's something that we've, you know, that we don't really understand is there's a lot of difference between, you know, the most, the big, the difference between the best horsemen we know and the worst isn't, isn't any one particular thing. It's thousands of little tiny things. And, and most of the time we don't even, we don't even notice them. And, and the, the problem I think was, is the, the people that are good at marketing have, have, told people a bill of goods oh now i'm going to do x y and z and uh maybe i'll tell on myself so i was doing a cold running competition in in um tennessee it was at the southwestern horse expo and and i it was the second day and they had three different round pins and they would tell you you were mic'd up and they would tell you hey we're coming to you and then they would ask you a question and so there was two announcers on the on the floor of the arena and then the announcer in the stand and so they kind of kept the crowd entertained and interacting and stuff. And so I'm riding this horse and it's my second day. And this thing, I settle him up. I move him around a little bit. I climb on him and he, I can feel that he wants to lay down. Like he sniffs the ground. He kind of, he kind of arcs his back a little bit. I can tell I don't want him to lay down. So I bump him forward and I'm starting to trot around. And the guy on the ground says, Hey, we're coming to you in a minute. And sure enough, 30 seconds later, they go, so Mark, what are you thinking about your cult? And this thing wants to lay down and I'm having to kick him to get him to go. So I'm trotting around there. I go, oh, we're doing pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, just thinking about teaching this one to lay down here. I've been learning from Dan James and, and, uh, and of course the announcer and the two guys on the ground think Mark's, Mark is telling a joke. Like there is no way that he's going to teach us or to lay down. There's no, there's, that's not going to happen. And anyway, I came to the middle and let my rain down and he sniffed the ground and laid down like i mean i gave him about 30 seconds of preview that what i was what i was doing was gonna get him laid down and then this thing lays down and i mean like it's one of those things that you know it it, it wasn't that i was that good of a trainer the horse was going to do something and i could tell it and i just called it before it happened and like if you had asked most people in the arena they would have said that mark he is one amazing i mean i saw that guy at a cold start and teach that thing to lay down on the second day under saddle like and then get back up and trot off like nothing was you know and it was it was one of those things that as a it's a little bit about showmanship and i think we kind of need to be able to be aware of when when they're kind of a, when it's way more showmanship than horsemanship and and there's definitely some some skill there but you know sometimes it's like hey i i'll straight up tell you there's no way yeah that's <laughs> not gonna... <laughs> lay down. that thing was that thing was gonna lay down whether i wanted him to or not so i like so, that yeah, I, yeah it, it's 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 trying to educate the public i think into into being able to discern when they're being when they're being kind of misdirected or when there it's more showmanship than, than actual horsemanship and when it's when they're actually being fed good meat and potatoes information. Well, Mark, we talked a lot about 
Colt starting and we've kind of get gotten into some different trainers and so forth. And and one of the things I would like to talk about with you is we kind of within the industry, we tend to have people separated in that you have you have kind of young horse guys and then you have more finished horse guys. And and I say we separate them in the industry. I mean it really almost separates itself because um the young horse guys don't tend to do a lot of finished horse stuff and the finished horse guys don't tend to do a lot of young horse stuff. I, I well remember watching a, a finished horse kind of a guy that went to start a colt. I was watching it. It, it, it like really almost got to be the, okay, just stop. Yeah. Exit the round pen. I'm going to get in there and, and you know, it was, it got pretty bad. So, so what are what are some thoughts that you have on that? Would you agree with that, or have you known some guys yes. that you think are as handy on either end of the spectrum, or or what? I've seen a few, but very few. Like on the, I you know, I think I can count on, you know, one or two hands the amount of people I know that could show one as well as they can start one. So that's really a rarity. Um, I think some of them. I think some. It's what we do most of, you know, I think a lot of guys, I think most of the people that when they, when they get to the, the more advanced they get and the more, you know, the advanced part of the horsemanship, you know, the polish that they're doing on those horses, I think the more they do it, the more they do that, the less they remember about starting one and doing this and that. And so they just get out of, they get out of practice at it. And so pretty soon they kind of forget how to start one. And then I think the same thing, those guys that are starting one, they get pretty good at starting them and they don't know how to finish them. And I think I can tell you as a, I'm not nearly as good at finishing one as I am starting one because I do more starting than finishing. And I, and I would say as um, it's probably more important what I, what I tell the interns and, and people that come to me for help, if you're going to start Colts, keep try to have one or two that you have that you're continuing on with. Because if all you're doing is starting Colts, you're never going to get good at finishing them because you've never done it. So do that. And I think it's really good. You have guys that just get on. And, and I think one of the reasons why I have been successful in the Colt starting thing is because I have finished some. And I I – get to the point where I can get them to kind of start stopping and turning around nicely and carrying their head well. And, and not all of the horses do it, but you're going to have one out of, you're probably going to have two or three out of 10 that are Einstein. Like they're really good. And if you're a cult starter that has never finished one, you're not going to recognize when, when the really good ones get there. Cause you've never like, Oh, this was easier. This is easier than the other one. No, he's not easier. He's way better. Like, and if, if you could, you know, so though, I think when I start calls for the Rainers and the cow horses and those guys and the jumpers too, they all have two or three out of 10 that are really like, people are like, they, they wonder where you put their horse. Like, this isn't the horse that gave you three days ago. Like, this isn't the horse we, I mean, I don't know what you did with my horse, but that's not, that's not him. And it's, it's really magical. 
And then the rest of them, they're going to be like, that's really good. All the rest of them, they're like, oh, all of them are really good except for those three. Those three, we think you somehow switched horses with us because there's no way that could happen. And so I think when you're starting Colts, if you learn how to get um, your skills better at the advance, it'll help you differentiate between a Colt that's just pretty good and a Colt that's exceptional. And you'll be able to bring out those skills way better. And that makes you more valuable to the to the trainer. And then nobody wants to be a cult starter for their whole life because uh, it's hard on your body. And so learning how to learning how to just sound a bad one and also make the good ones into a little bit a little bit better, bring out that talent faster, really kind of makes you more valuable to to the customer. So I I would say that. And then. I think the the guys that are already to that point don't do something you're not com- don't do something that you're not good at. Like if you're not good at call starting, you need to be able to tell the difference between a good call starter and not, and then let them do their job. Don't don't you know? And this is something for my internship program. I have a a list of I have a list of topics or a list of skills, and one of them is ferrying. And cult starting is another one. Vet work is another one. Anyway, I tell people, look, in order to be in the horse industry, you have to have a basic level of competency in all of these areas. So the basic competency level in farrying is to be able to look at the job that the farrier did and say, that was worth the money I paid him. Like You need to know it looks pretty balanced. It looks pretty level. Everything looks symmetrical. The nail holes are pretty good. You, you need to be able to know if you need to be able to differ in a good job and a bad job when they were doing their, when they did it. And then that's the minimum. And now it's handy if you know how to tack a shoe on, but it's not required. You, if you know how to tack a shoe on, it's, it's handy. And the same thing with starting Colts. You need to know, you need to be able to watch somebody start a cult and go, that guy knows what he's doing or that guy doesn't. And if you can start a cult, it's also handy for you, but it's not necessary. And so if that's not something you're, you want to put the time and effort into being good at just figure out who does it good and hire them and and then yeah if you're if it's not something that it's in your wheelhouse don't don't do it just just find somebody else to do it because it's way it's way better if you if you just do what you're good at and and let those guys that are good cold starters do do what they're good at I don't think that everybody appreciates how big of a range of difference there can be there. Like, like if you have a really good farrier, that's art. I mean, there, there's, if you have to tell your farrier how they're supposed to do their job, then either you need to get off the internet and, and yep. keep your mouth shut or you need to get another farrier. You know, they, yep. they should know way more about what's going on down there than yep. you do. Yeah. Kind of the same with, with the others. You mentioned a second ago about Colt starting being hard on your body. And one of the other things I'd like to talk with you about is, is that because we, we also kind of have a wave of people that, that now think it's, it's cruel or inhumane to start horses as two-year-olds. And I will certainly allow that not all two-year-olds are the same. There are definitely some two-year-olds that are not physically mature enough to you know that we we need to wait another six months on that one sort of a, right. a thing but my thought on that has always been 
I for sure know that it is harder on me to start a three-year-old or a four-year-old than a two-year-old. And if I'm going to be a guy that starts a few thousand of these things in my life, my quality of life and physical health is going to be way different if I started 3,000 four-year-olds than if I started 3,000 two-year-olds. Those four-year-olds are going to beat you to a pulp by the time it's all said and done. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, we want to do what's good for the horse, but we kind of got to do what's good for for us too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I tell people is it's not as much what you do as how you do it. And so what I tell people, and I tell this in my clinic a lot, I say, look, abusing a child and disciplining a child is the same action. It's an adult with a stick beating a kid. That's what it is. It's an adult, got a stick, and he's whacking the, you know, whacking some kid's butt. And that could be abuse or it could be discipline. It depends on how it's a, it's how it's done. It could be with love and sorry, son, you know you're not supposed to do this. And to keep you from hitting all the neighbor kids, we're going to have to give you a little discipline. Or it could be, you know, it could be abuse. So it's, and it's the same thing with the horses. I see both sides. And what I tell people is, look, I think that I did a video a few months ago, and it was when to start your when to start your horse. And I said, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you my view. I think you we we know that horses don't physically mature till they're four, five, six, and we also know that humans don't mature until they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty. But we still let them do some physical exercise before they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty. And we also know that letting them, sitting them on the couch until they're 20 is probably not good for their, <laughs> for their health. Also, we also know that putting 12-year-olds in a coal mine for eight hours probably isn't good for their health. So, like, we, we don't expect the 12-year-old to do a full day's work, but maybe a few chores wouldn't be a bad, you know, wouldn't be, wouldn't be too detrimental to him. And so the same thing is, like, look, if you're going to start a two-year-old, you know, I start uh, a bunch of two-year-olds for this ranch, and they'll put a week or two on them, and then they kick them out for six months. And they bring them back in, put a put two or three weeks on them, and then kick them back out for the rest of the year. And then I come the next year, and, man, they're three- and four-year-olds in there. They're big and strong, and, man, they already know, you know, you can catch them, put a saddle on them, and they might, you know, just kind of crow hop a time or two, you know, just kind of, you know, feeling fresh. And then you can step on them and you can trot and lope across the pasture and, hey, they're ready to go. And so it, it's they're way more moldable and directable physically and mentally when they're a little bit younger and less likely to, to try to hurt you. And then also, you know, they, they've got some a little bit of work ethic. And so I, I tell people, look, when I, I was growing up, I had a paper out when I was about 13 and it when I was carrying papers, I carried the same amount of weight that a mailman carried, but I only carried it for an hour. And, and, you know, halfway through the paper route, I had half the papers gone. So now it was, it was way less. So, I mean, I only carried the weight that a paper, uh, that a mailman carried for like about 10 minutes. And then I was down to a quarter and then it was down to a third. So look, yeah, we, yeah, don't get your two-year-old and say, now we're going to by golly, get him started, and we're going to ride him an hour a day, and we're going to lope 40 circles. And, yes, that's probably not going to be very good for him. Also, yeah, giving him an indication that, hey, a little bit of work is required for your feed and and 
all your medical care that we're giving you isn't, isn't bad either. So I, I like starting them as two-year-olds, putting either giving them a good start a couple weeks and then kicking them out for a month or two and then bringing them back in periodically or what a lot of the the breeding facilities and the, the reining and the cow horse guys, they will do the fillies one day and the colts the next. So they'll do all the fillies on Monday, colts on Tuesday, fillies on Wednesday, and they'll alternate back and forth. They'll give them a day off in between. And they don't ride much. I mean, they ride them 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then they're done. So they, they may lope uh, one or two circles each direction. They trot, and they move the hip over, and they do a little side passing, and they, you know, work on backing. There you are. Okay, we lost you in there. Oh, sorry. You got to, that's okay, it's an internet thing, it happens. You got to the part of work on backing, and and I lost you there, so. Yep. So, so, yeah, we get them so that they're, you know, doing a little bit of, they're just, they're just practicing a few of the maneuvers, a little backing, a little side passing, a little pivoting around or whatever, and they just get a, just kindergarten, we in kindergarten, there's a, a lot of recess and not very much education, but they still go to school and they still learn a little structure and they go, hey, this isn't bad. And then, you know, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, we start having less and Oh, there you're back. Okay. So you, you were, again? yeah, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, we start having less and less, I'm assuming recess and a little more yeah. intensity in the yeah. classroom. And yeah, yeah. So that, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me. One of the things like we were talking about the personality characteristics of cult starters and all of that. It's part of that not emotional. If you get the person with a chip on their shoulder and an ego and this cult's a little tough, well, they might say, well, I need to ride you three hours, you know, and, and that's where to me, the emotional stuff can become a problem. They're not being protective with that horse anymore. They're going to now, they're going to show him, or, or make yeah. him or, or whatever, rather than being protective of him. So everything yeah. can, can be done with common sense, right? <laughs> yeah. They want to dominate instead of educate. And so they're, they'll try to tire, tire that horse out instead of just, just allowing him to kind of just soak, you know, get it a little bit better and soak on it. If you were to just give a few tips of advice to the, the typical owner out there that may be having problems with their horses, what would be some of the big overreaching sort of tips that you would give? Oh, man. That's not articulately asked, but I, I think you have an idea of what I'm trying to get at there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I th I would say try to think through the the problem more logically than emotionally. Just say, hey, what, what part... Uh, what part is the horse not getting or, or, or what for me, I don't really teach very many maneuvers as much as I teach principles. And so when somebody comes to me with a problem, I go, uh, okay. And, and so normally it's, he won't do X or he does X when I don't want him to do it. And then I say, well, why, uh, why is he doing it? And they'll go, what do you mean? And I go, well, he either doesn't understand or he is really scared or he doesn't want to 
or he's physically incapable. It's the same reasons that humans don't do something I ask you to do. You either didn't understand what I wanted you to do, or you didn't want to, or you thought you were going to die when you did it, or you're physically incapable of doing it. So those are the, and then we figure out what reason they think the horse, you know, is, is not doing it. And we kind of go from there, but yeah, just trying to problem solve. I think that's something that, you know, we have we have kind of gotten away from in schools is you know we we educate or maybe educate to the wrong answer maybe maybe indoctrinate or we kind of we ask the kid to regurgitate information instead of saying hey I'm going to give you some information I want you to formulate a plan on how to solve this problem we just say remember that you know Spain was conquered in this date you know and so we just kind of go hey this is this is the information I want you to regurgitate for the test instead of how does that information impact your life and how do you how do you how can you use that in the future to to use that for your betterment and so i think just trying to problem solve that that horse that's what kind of what i do is to say hey well let's let's see what's happening and then like I say sometimes that horse doesn't trailer load or he doesn't he doesn't back up or he doesn't side pass or he doesn't you know and so i for me when that happens you know i go well does he, you know, if he doesn't trailer load, well, does he lead? Lead him in there. Oh, he doesn't lead when he goes in there or, or send him in there. Does he send in there? Oh, and so I start, I start kind of breaking it down and trying to get, you know, problem solve and find the root, the root cause of why it's happening and then say, okay, well, let's fix that and then we'll go on. And so that I would say just getting that, getting that problem solving thing, learn how to problem solve. Yeah, I would say learn how to problem solve. I'm honestly not sure where you're going to follow on this one. I, I think we're in line with a whole lot of stuff, but but there's a little bit of a potential conflict of the way you've said a couple of things here. So I'm just searching mm -hmm. for clarity here. Yeah. But one of the problems I see in the industry as I'm kind of seeing this stuff of consent and all of that stuff coming up, there seems to be a movement that, stressing a horse is a bad thing and we should be doing everything we can do to not ever get one stressed i don't know if you've heard of it like now we have this term of threshold and and stay in yep. the low threshold and all of this stuff and i don't know if it is the semantics issue with me or what but i i fundamentally disagree with that premise i think yep stressing a horse and teaching them how to handle stress is one of the absolute most foundational things we can do when we're starting one and it's the difference between one that we would say is broke and one that's still green the broke horse can handle when you're ponying that colt and he tries to climb up in the saddle with you some horses are fixing to head for mexico and some are going to be there yeah. with you right and yeah. they can the difference is one can handle the stress and one can't so where do you, yeah. where do you fall on that? Is that a semantics I, issue? I am, nope. No, I am the same way. I and what I tell so here's what I tell people. I'm I'm I used to be very very conservative and and I've softened my conservative opinions maybe a little bit, but I still do things pretty conservative. I tell people, look, I think that making sure my horse can handle stressful situations and stress in general is something that I need to be able to make sure he can do. If you don't want to do that, I'm not going to tell you you have to, but also your horse might 
buck you off and leave you when stress happens. And that's going to be a, a you know, hey, these are the, con I'm telling you the consequences. Like if you don't teach your kid how to um, have a good work ethic and he ends up living in your basement till he's 50, that's your, that's consequences that you have, you have made. We were, we were talking and, and goes back to that cold starting thing. I had a, had a flag and I'm working the horse with the flag and they said, well, he's kind of scared. I said, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, he's a little worried. I want to, I wanted to see what's going to happen. I'm not trying to scare him, but if he got scared, I don't mind. Like I'm not going to take the flag away just because he's a little worried. I want to see what happens when he's a little worried. And if he listens to the halter rope, when he's a little worried, then I feel like I can probably climb on him and, and be okay because even if he got a little worried about seeing me up there, he'd still listen to the halter rope and we could we could survive the situation. And I said, the problem is, is uh, if you never see what, if you never allow him to be stressed, then you never know what he's going to react like when he does get a little worried. And so anyway, I was, and there's a bunch of mom, you know, and I don't know how it is at your clinics, but in my clinics, there's mostly ladies there. There's very few guys in the clinic. And so I said, did you, do you teach your kids about sex and drugs? And they go, well, yeah. I said, why do you want them to do it? And they said, well, no, but we know that they're going to be introduced to it. And I said, the same thing. Yes, I don't run my horse to be stressed, but I know what's going to happen. So it's up to me to say, hey, I need to introduce you to this thing that's probably going to happen in your life. And uh, I would be lax if I didn't didn't help you figure out how to handle that situation. And and uh, anyway, it's 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 one of those things that I think, like I say, we 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 as humans have got to the point where we've made a civilization that doesn't have a lot of stress in it. Like our, our stress threshold has gotten way low with all the technology advancements that we got. And frankly, it's, I don't know if it's that good for society. And so now we think we can do it in the horse and it's like, well, you can, if you, if you're in artificial situations, but in real life and you know, I, I use my horses in real life. Like my horse, my horses are out. Uh, uh, tell a little story. I was in a clinic in Austin, and Austin's a little bit liberal, and and um, they were they were talking. We were talking talking around horses, and and anyway, I told the story about you know, hey, you tell you figure out where you want your horse to operate and all, but I like mine at about a seven. And so anyway, one of the ladies said, hey. Um, you know, I think you're too hard on your horses. I think you should let them, you know, you're you're too strict. You're too, and I said, oh, well, oh. not that I really cared, but appreciate you being, you know, appreciate mm -hmm. your input. And so the next day we had clinic again. We we're going along, and one the, they they wanted to work on loping. So I said, well, we're going to stay on this side of the arena, and I want you guys to lope, you know, just one at a time, go down there and lope a few circles, and we'll work on some loping and and this and that. And well, one of the ladies. The girl, she, she was a younger girl. She was loping around there, and her saddle was loose, and it slipped underneath the horse. And this, and she was fine, uh, but the horse went. I mean, you know how it goes, it bronking around there and honking, and and so anyway, I oh, hold on a second. So I'm I'm going along there, and this lady, she like I say, she she rolls her saddle underneath, and so this horse starts bucking around, and so I go, I kind of head, you know, I'm. We're on this side. I said, everybody follow me. We're going to, we're going to head in and follow this horse around. And, you know, the, the best place 
to be in a wreck is following it because if you're in an arena, it's eventually going to find you. So <laughs> tracking in behind it's the, the best place to be. So as it comes around there, I head towards it and everybody else goes into a little group <laughs> and stands there in the middle of the arena like, you know, wide-eyed. And so anyway, this thing makes a circle and then it gets down to the end and it looks back and it sees that group of horses and it it comes for them. Like it's, it's lined up. And so it's lined up across this thing and I think this thing's not going to go well. So I've <laughs> got a horse. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we are going to have a strike here. And so I've got a cow horse. My horse is, does cow horse stuff. And so, and we start colts. And so he's like, he's, he knows the deal. So I say, hey, you get that one. So we cut across the arena, cut across the middle, and we, we kind of take this thing about his shoulder and we push him off the line and we push him down to the fence. And then when we get to the fence, I cow horse turn him and, and I reach down there and grab his bridle. And then we kind of, you know, I'm, now he's going the opposite direction I am. So we do a little circle, yin yang kind of thing until he settles down. And so he settles down, everything's good. And we get the saddle off and and put back on she gets back on we do a few circles and this and that and so anyway at the end of the clinic i said hey um you know we we were talking about my horse and and being strict with him and she said yeah and i said and and uh, i i will tell you that i'm more strict with my horse than you are with yours and i said i can tell you why i said the problem is is my job is to keep you guys safe and in that moment, my horse, if he had, if he was a human, would have said, look, buddy, you told all those people what to do, and they decided not to do it. Why don't we let them have a little bit of reality, and they can, they can deal with their own? Because, frankly, I don't want to put myself in a position where I can get hurt to help those people that didn't do what you told them to do in the first place. But he didn't say that. He said, yes, sir, and... We met that thing in his shoulder and pushed him off to the side. And and because he said, yes, sir, we, you, we will do whatever it is you need me to do at the moment, we kept all of you guys aboard. And nobody got bucked off. And I said, and so, like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you you have to be – you can be as strict as you want with your horse in your, in your perspective. But there's – people and there's horses and and dogs that we enjoy having for companionship and there's horses and dogs that we use for jobs and how many of you if you were looking for a seeing eye dog for your grandmother would would go buy one that said you know he's he he probably won't kill your grandmother he only led one out of four into a bus you know i mean he probably would he probably's not going to get her killed you know it's like look we you know, when, when our life depends on it now, it's a little bit different. And so I think, um, you know, like I say there's stress that's going to happen and we need to be able to say, Hey, when, when I, when I need you to perform, when I, our horses are a little bit, they have the same IQ as a two-year-old. So don't let your, you're not going to let your two-year-old do things yeah. that are going to endanger their life. And so, you know, my job is to keep him safe. And so I think this, the same thing happens with with our horses. We need to be able to we're stewards of them and we need to be the best stewards. We can be the best parents that we can for them. 
I have uh, my personal demo horses. He's getting getting old now. He's kind of semi-retired. I don't I don't use him all the time. I just pull him out when I have a need for him. But he is a coward deep down in his heart. He is just chicken-hearted sort of a horse. He's cowbred and out of certain bloodlines that were kind of known for that. But I have a, a pretty darn good relationship with him, and, and I have used him for things like we were trying to pin some cows one time and we had a mama cow that just got on the fight and to mm-hmm. the point, you know, when they're like a hornet's nest, like if you came within yeah. 30 feet of her, she was coming at right. you. Right. And we had five people trying to drive her and we have one old man that about gets his leg broke from her button up against him and about threw him out of the saddle yeah. and all. And so I said, y'all just, just hang back and let me deal with her. And so I basically went over there and I, I did like a bullfighting horse with him. And when she would come to fight, I'd side pass him away. And, and she basically tried to attack me right through the gate into the pins. <laughs> I just used him for bait, you yep. know, and that's yep. about as far out of his comfort zone as he could possibly be. But he yeah. didn't get hurt and we got the job done. Yep. And, and, you know, if he yep. wasn't obedient to me, we never would have been able to, to pull that kind of stuff yep. off. So I, I yeah. 100% agree with you, and there definitely are still people out there that use horses for work and need them to stand up. I'll also say you kind of, you talked a little bit about people on there. I have two young sons, they're, they're getting older, but one is in the sixth grade and one is a high school senior. And on that scale, I would say I'm, I'm a pretty strict dad. I'm not scared to yell at them or, or whip their butts if they need it or whatever. But they also were both raised on a horse ranch with lots of problem horses and colts. And if they don't listen to me, they might die. You know, I mean, if they're heading to the wrong direction, about to crawl in this with the wrong horse or whatever, like, like when I say no, you you better stop in your tracks. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's some context to all of that stuff, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think the problem is, is sometimes we don't, and I think now, you know, I say it's more artificial. I think the world's gotten a little bit more artificial. Somebody was, you know, you were talking about your, your boys in there. They've got lots of, they've got lots of freedom because they are obedient. My, um, you know, my dog, he hasn't been on a leash for a long time because he's pretty obedient. And we were talking, this was not this dog, but the dog I had before, same thing. Anyway, he's sitting on the back of my truck. And I've got a little shade there and there's a there's a little pad that he lays on, you know, and so he's back there. And anyway, I would just send him, tell him to go load up and he'd go jump in the back of the truck there. And so anyway, I, I, we were talking about, you know, the same thing you're talking about, you know, having having some structure and expecting him to obey and this and that. And I said, that dog, he hasn't had a leash on in like three years. Like the last time I the last time I put a leash on him was uh, was. Uh, we went to a place that had a leash rule, you know, you had to, have, you had to be on a leash. And so I put a leash on him. He looked at me like he was appalled. Like, what are you doing? You know, what the, what kind of scene, what, you know, because he not used to that, you know, I mean, he didn't, he, he you know, I said, look at all the freedom he's got. He, he hasn't had a leash on in years. Why? Because if I tend to go lay down, if, if I was calling him, I did this for a, a little demo. They were because we were talking about it. I said I called him. I said, "Come here," and he comes running. And I mean, he's a ways away, so he's running pretty hard. And I go, "Hey, down, lay down," and he just hits the ground and lays down. 
And I said, see, I can stop him. And I said, if I was calling, if he was coming running to me and he had to cross a road and there was cars coming, I could tell him down, he'd down. And I, I, I can save his life there. And the reason he can have so much freedom is because he listens. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's like, say, those horses, they can have a lot of freedom and a lot of, yeah, a lot of freedom when they listen. And when they, when they don't listen, then we can't give them as much freedom. We talk a lot about the horse trusting us, but the horse has to be trustworthy as well, right? Uh, yeah. Tell a little story since you brought up the cur dogs. And th this man I, I learned a couple years ago, he has since passed away. But there were some people I was helping pin some cattle. It was in a, a spillway with a dam. We're in Louisiana. We get lots of water and, and flooding and that kind of stuff. And so kind of the deal is you can you can keep your cattle in this area, but if the Mississippi rises, this is going to be a lake in about a day and a half. So you have to be, yep. it's not necessarily yep. safe. So we're pinning cattle to get out of there. And of course it's been raining. It was so muddy. We were going down the levee. We had to have a big tractor with the trailer hooked to it because we were rutting the top of the levee as we were. I mean, it was bad. And the, the pens were already underwater. So we had panels on the side of a levee. And that's where we're trying to pin the cattle and load out. And we had gotten about half of them loaded out. And then one cow decided to, to challenge the panels and knock the whole side down and they're loose. And, you know, once you've pinned them and you've already been doing that, repinning them again five minutes later is not going to be the easiest yeah, thing yeah. to do. Yeah. So the man that owned the cow says, uh, I know a guy with some good dogs. I'm going to call him. And I have worked a lot of, a lot of deals with dogs and I'm, I'm a fan of like border collies and Kelpies, but he had said cur dogs. And I have seen a lot of train wrecks with, with cur dogs. <laughs> uh, Cause most yeah. of the time they're not trained. They're just kind of yeah. thrown out there and they do their natural thing and, and it goes how it goes. Yeah, and, and this man shows up with a 30 foot stock trailer full of dogs. He must have had 30 dogs with him. And yep. he's got three shot collars. And I'm going, well, he might have three dogs under control, but 27 are not going to be. I'm just fully expecting this to be an absolute train wreck. Yeah. And he said, and, and by the way, what they called cur dogs, he has got, it looks like he went to the pound and he said, I'll take every dog you've got. Like there's a one that looks like a German shepherd and one that's probably a half poodle. And I'm, it was just every mix yeah. of mongrel you could imagine. Yeah. And he, he gets on one of the horses and he goes out there and he sends his dogs in and he's got his, his remote and everything. And he let them bark and kind of pack up, bay the cattle for about five minutes and that man one time said get behind which was his command for them to get behind the horse yeah. every yeah. dog immediately came right to him and got behind his horse i'm like that's the damnedest thing i have ever seen i mean he actually has every single one of these dogs super yeah. trained Listen. and he yeah. did that he sent them in there about three or four times and packed those cattle up and got the cattle where they were respecting the dogs yeah. called them back and they came straight to him when he called and then he looked at the man and he said, okay, where you want them? And he went and pinned them right back up. The whole thing took maybe 45 minutes. And yep. I mean, with, with every guy on a horse in the parish, we couldn't have pinned those cattle in 45 minutes like that. So right. uh, you just made me think of that, that little story. Yeah. Yeah. When, when those animals, 
are obedient, man. There's amazing, you know, you know, we're, we're the, we're the no, and they're the, you know, that, that horse is, has got some gifts that God gave him that I like, you know, they're strong and they're fast and they're athletic and they can, they can run faster and smell better and see better, but God gave me the brains. And so I'm supposed to be the one that makes the decisions and he's supposed to be the one that help. I mean, Hey, this is the way, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, I use my tools and the things God gave me, my gifts to the best of my ability. And then they've, they've got to use the gifts that God gave them to the best of theirs. And, and part of that's leaving the thinking to us and, and yes, sir. just doing what they need to do. Well, the last thing I'll ask you about may be sort of the more controversial topic, and, and hopefully we've built a little rapport. And, and if you don't want to go here with me, then that's perfectly fine. But you kind of alluded to earlier that there are some horses out there that we're not going to get fixed. And that is kind of one of my pet peeves within the industry is you, you do have a bunch of clinicians that act like those. there's nothing they can't fix, nothing they can't do it's all just if you love them enough and you spend enough time with them then you're going to get there and uh, you know i i know that unfortunately not to be true i don't think there's a ton of them that we're not going to fix but you're always going to have a little a little group of them like that so you you agree you've seen some of those yourself so i what i tell people is um, I have a, I tell people there's one that I'm not going, I'm not going to risk my life to fix. Like, I'm not saying somebody couldn't fix it, but he couldn't fix it for you. Like, you know, like I, I've seen some horses that were pretty bad go on to be, go on to be, oh, like, uh, guy, I had one that was, he was pretty, pretty bad, pretty rank, but they got, they put a lot of, they put three times as much money as he was worth into him. And eventually gave him to somebody else that works a feedlot with him. And so it's like, is he, is he fixed? No, he still, he still will block off most riders. But, you know, there's a cowboy there that's, that's pretty, pretty forked and he will stick on him and, and they have a go around about once a week and, and he's got that job and you already spent, you know, fifteen thousand dollars on him so and then gave him away so you know yeah is he is he fixed well that's debatable but i tell people there's a lot of horses that you know it's a relationship you you have to figure out is that drug addict thing you know like yeah is he fixable no Hmm. (laughs) depends what you call fixable are you willing to take the drug addict thing on and and maybe maybe not and so yeah, there's a lot of horses that are too much horse for that person or the attitude that horse doesn't really want to be trained and he'd rather be a little bit of a hooligan and 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 a little bit of a of a problem maker. And if if that's what you want, well by golly you got it. And if you most people don't want that. And so I tell people, look, it's could could he fi- could he be fixed? No, I'm not going to fix him. Like I'm not going to work with him anymore. It's not worth me risking my life to do that and i think it's going to be you're going to spend way more money than you could have just you know you're gonna spend three times as much as he was worth so you know you but so yeah i i totally agree there's there's a lot of horses out there that people spend more money than than they're than they're worth just to you know and and sometimes it's the trainer won't tell them 
um, hey, they won't be honest with them. They'll they'll say, yeah, you know, oh, just a few more months, just a few more months. You know, he's coming along, and then it never it never happens, and they're just looking for the paycheck, you know. And so yeah, there's there's definitely some horses. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were talking about, you know, you were talking about the Mustangs mine thing is a little bit of the rescues i mean there's some there's some good horses in rescues and there's some also ones that aren't very good and the lady she had had a she got one from a rescue and she's like oh i had a you know bad deal it's like ah you know he might be a little rougher than what you want you might need to get something different she goes oh i just feel so bad and i said are you are you single she said yes i said well why don't you go look for a husband in the at the penitentiary i'm sure there's some good ones there Mm -hmm. i mean not all of them I mean, you know, there's some, probably some that are innocent and there's probably a, quite a few of them that are, you know, would have repented and said, hey, I don't want to I don't want to do that anymore. I said, but that's not probably a really good place to go pick a husband. Same thing with same horses. You know, we, we we need to find horses that that work for us and definitely some good ones anywhere. But have a realistic expectation. I think that's very sound advice. You have your uh, risk and reward ratio yeah to, to pick up right there um, and i definitely have seen some of those horses that are kind of like can you fix him well i can fix him for me but yeah. i can't i can't fix him for you you know I, i've got yeah. several in the pasture like that that are i can ride them but i don't yeah. know that i would put them out there for anybody else mark i really appreciate you coming on the podcast today i have enjoyed talking with you we're also going to have in the show notes, we'll have links to your stuff. You've got a, a website and a YouTube channel that I know you, you've been putting more and more effort into doing regular videos, and I've watched several of them. There was one I was going to ask you about, but I did not have the foresight yeah. to write it down, and I can't remember what the topic was that I wanted to bring up, but I really like I, I should I tell you, it's editable. If you give me a second, I'm going to pull it up, and yeah. Yeah. and I'll ask you about it. Experience doesn't equal skill. So, oh, yeah. I, I think we touched on that a little bit, but just to give people a, a taste of what you're talking about on your YouTube channel, would you kind of revamp sort of that? Yeah. Like you talked about the good thing about the horse training industry is you don't have to have a certification to be in it. And the bad thing is you don't have to have a certification to be in it. And, um, right. I think I'm going to love what you're about to say. So, so go right ahead. Yeah. So, I, so I do one on Fridays called Friday Philosophy, and then I do on Tuesdays is kind of a Tuesday tip, and and that one's a, a I I try to pick something for the Friday Philosophy that's just a balance, and so I uh, one of my you, you hear things as a clinician, and you're just like, oh that that makes me. You'll hear a phrase, and it'll make you think better or worse of a person just by what they utter that phrase. And, and sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. But one of the phrases that I've heard was, I've been riding horses since I was a kid, or I've been riding horses since before I was born because my mother was pregnant with me and she was riding a horse. And I'm thinking, like, that makes you a better horse than because Because you were, you know, as a, as a, you know, some, your mother carried you when you were six months old. Like, that doesn't, like, you, you think that is impressing me. You're, you, you, you're not. You're not you're not impressing me much, um, and so my my goal with that was look, we know lots of people that are fifty and they still drive like crap. So just because you've been driving a lot doesn't 
Just because you've been driving for 40 years doesn't mean you're any good at it. I mean, I know some people that have been cooking for 20 years and they still cook like not very good. So like just because you've been doing it a long time doesn't mean you're any good at it. And also on the on the other side of that coin is, look, if you're going to be a good horseback rider, you have to have some time doing it. You're not going to you're not going to be a good horseback rider if you've only been doing it for 20 minutes. Like you have to have some time spent in the saddle to be good at something. And so, you know, it's a, it's a balance there, but don't, don't use, well, I've been doing it for a long time to indicate the fact that your skill is, is advanced because you, because you haven't died yet Mm -hmm. doing, doing what. So yeah, that was, that was kind of a funny thing we were talking about. I always like to do something that's, that's a, a little bit controversial and then helps people think about it. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of a funny one. It's like, look, just because you've been doing it, you know, just because you've been doing it all your whole life doesn't mean you're any good at it. I mean, that, For sure. it could be, but, but it isn't. But yeah, it's, yeah, that was, the, that was something that if I hear somebody say, oh, I've been, you know, I've been writing since I was two, that normally doesn't inspire confidence in, in me. So I've heard it. I've heard it normally, normally it comes out of somebody's mouth that, I normally go, oh my goodness. So it was just a little tip to, if you're trying to impress the horse trainer, don't, don't say that. <laughs> I would certainly agree. Got a um, college class I'm going to speak to here in, in, I think next week. And I've, I've done, I try to do once a year, at least do a, a, a deal with a college class of, of horse, future horsemen and women. Uh-huh. One of the things that I try to tell them is, Stuff you're going to learn in the classroom is important and it's good, but you need to be handling horses as much as you possibly can because when you go for a job interview, probably they're going to hand you a horse and they're going to know in about 10 seconds whether you know what you're doing or not, whether they can turn their back on you or or you have to be babysat, you know, and and there's no hiding that. Like if, if they're actually any good at what they're doing, they're going to know really, really quick where you're at. And so the same applies yeah. to people at clinics. If, if you're pretty experienced and you come to a clinic, believe me when I tell you, you don't have to tell me that I'm going to sniff that out real, real fast. You know, if you're <laughs> not, I'm going to sniff that out real, real fast. So <laughs> I was, I was doing some clinics. We used to do clinics, a friend of mine, we were doing clinics together. And, and so, we we would have people come in the in, in the clinic and we were trying to separate them the people that were on the more advanced side and people on the less advanced side so you know all the people that were a little less experienced were wanted to work on more basic stuff we'd put them on one side of the arena and the and the people that were a little bit more advanced we'd put them on the other side of the arena and they'd work on more advanced stuff and so we'd split up the class and and so i would take one and then they would take the other one and then we in the lunchtime a lot of times we'd split and so they were walking, a bunch of bunch of people were walking in, and I'd say, okay, you, you're on that side, uh, you're on the other side, uh, you're on the left side, you're on the right side. And we they came in, and we had them fairly equally split by the time the last person got in there. And I said, which side do you want? And, uh, I'll take this one. Oh, okay. So I went on their side. And so we I said, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us what you want to work on. And, and so anyway, we started working on mine, my, my little group started working on one. And so somebody asked me, well, why did you split the group up? I said, well, we put the more advanced people, you know, on that side and the, you know, people that want to work on the more basic stuff on this side. And I remember a couple of the people said, well, how did you know? I said, well, when you walked in the arena, you told me. 
And they're like, well, we didn't say anything. And I said, well, I could tell. And they were like, really? How like, and, and it was like spot on. And they're like, how'd you know? I said, well, by the way you walked, the tack you had on your horse, how you how you walked your horse in. I mean, the, like, uh, yeah. there's the, not once. Yeah, there's not one specific thing. There's like 10 things that you did on the way in that I said, that person is on the side or that person's on the other side. And so it's, it's the same thing. It's like you don't have to tell somebody you're good at something. If you're a framer, all you have to do is hand somebody a hammer and say, pound that nail in. They don't even have to get to the second swing and you're already like just yeah. starting it. You're already going, yep, you know what you're doing or no, you don't. And so. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, Mark, it has been fun. I hope we meet up and get to ride together somewhere down the road. I, yeah. I have a feeling I'd have a blast starting about 10 or 15 Colts with you one day or for a week yeah, or something man. like that. So Yeah, I'd love it if you got extra time or I'll have, to, I'll have to figure out where you're at and put you on the map. And then when I'm swinging through, if I have a, a few days, I'll swing by and, and hang out. I, I loved our time together and it'd be fun to hang out and, and swap stories and swap ideas and man i tell you what that's one of the best things about me traveling around is i get to hang out with a bunch of really cool horsemen and we just bounce ideas off each other and hey what do you think about this and let me see how you do that and oh it's so much so much fun yeah absolutely i don't know about you i what i tend to tell the public is the stuff i was figuring out three or four years ago but the stuff i'm yeah that I'm playing with right now, I tend to kind of keep them and it, I might bounce yep. it off of other horsemen I respect. Yep. But I'm, I don't open my mouth about it in public for, for a good while, typically. So it, it's always, and when you get to a certain level, there's a smaller group of people that you can do that with. Yep. So I, I always yep. appreciate finding a new one. So anyway, well, well, thank you, man. I do appreciate you coming on. Best of luck to you. And like I say, we'll have links to all of your YouTube channel and facebook stuff and website and all in the show notes so y'all check bet. out Thanks. mark so much for having me. absolutely thank you much <laughs> we'll see you next week for another episode of adult onset horsemanship i've been your host daniel dolphin